Howdy ho there, internet friends. Uh, you are listening to Breaking Change, a podcast production from Justin Searles Studios. I am your host, Justin Searles, and it today, as we were recording, is Saturday, January 27th, 2024. And I made a promise to myself I'm not going to turn this into a weekly habit. I'm not going to stick to a particular cadence. And yet it seems like on roughly every seven days so far, here we are just a few weeks in, I am uh, compelled by a compulsion to speak into a microphone. And part of the reason is uh, a surprising number of you are listening. So thank you for that. Um, you know, your, your, uh, your continued support and attention fuels not only my vanity, but also my craven need for the validation of others. So thank you. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm actually... Um, I'm more, I'm, I'm better adjusted than ever. I like to think. Uh, yeah. So today version three of the podcast is all about 50 cents per annual install. Uh, and I'll, I'll explain what that means. If you have not already been following the news, uh, my, my goal had actually been to take a week off, uh, and, uh, enjoy my life a little bit, but then, uh, uh and, and with the idea that the next iteration of this internet radio program would be February 2nd or February 3rd after I had uh, had a chance to, to I'll, I'll say dick around with the Apple Vision Pro. Excuse me. I, I, I was talking about the media language uh, in the in the in the brand guidelines. I'm not supposed to say the Apple Vision Pro, right? Because like, you know, it's a, it, if you ever listen to an Apple keynote, they always they talk about iPhone like it's the proper noun of a child that they had. And that it makes sense, right? Because most Apple executives uh, uh, are at work so much that it might be easy to confuse inanimate products assembled by tiny hands working overtime in China as humans that deserve uh to be treated well and to be loved and so uh you know they love their iphone and their apple vision pro and and you know what i'm i'm happy to use them and we're going to talk a bunch about that today so so i wanted to clear the deck of other apple related ephemera as well as you know just hey here's what's going on in life and then that way we can have a nice robust conversation about vision os spatial computing what it's actually like because i imagine that most of you are wiser than me and think four thousand dollars that's probably better off in literally a money market savings account earning five and a half percent right now than being flushed down the drain uh uh but here i am to share my experience anyway so that at least uh someone can benefit from my conspicuous consumption so let's dive right in uh let's first of all a little bit of what's going on in life uh one of the funniest things about recording a podcast in my experience so far has been that my wife becky who's probably listening to this right now in which case hey there she actually likes listening to this which you know you, you know in the abstract a spouse that spends a lot of time with a spouse has selected that person to be their life partner. Uh, you would think, oh, well, of course they want to spend some time. But if you've been married for 16 going on 17 years like I have, uh, I would not have guessed that that Becky woke up one morning and thought, you know what I need is more of Justin Searles in my goddamn ear. And yet she enjoys the podcast. 
So what I take from that is one, of course, she loves me very much. And I uh, uh, try my best to reciprocate. And two, it, podcasts can't be all that bad because uh, sure as shit, when I when I put out stuff that's not entertaining, she's got no problem tuning out. And uh, that's what I appreciate about her. So uh, Becky was listening to the podcast. She had both AirPods in, which is a sign of, you know, inside of a house with two people having in both of your AirPods is, I think, a it's a marker that says I am occupied. Do not interrupt me unless it is relatively important urgent and i got her attention because i actually did have something to say and uh, it turned out that uh, (laughs) she said well i'm i'm actually listening to you right now and so the idea that i had to interrupt her listening to myself so that she could listen to myself was a level of meta that i thought was appropriate as a fourth wall break so that was fun i'm not hmm i did not anticipate this as being a uh, consequence of talking at the internet. Uh, This was meant to be a a megaphone pointed outside the house, and I'm unsure of the consequences when the podcast is coming from inside the house. That is a scream reference to any of you people old enough to remember Scream, the film. I wonder if Scream aged well. Anywho, uh, another life thing, you know, uh, I wanted to record today, especially because a being Saturday, January 27th, the Detroit Lions are still playing football. And I, I, I was a fan as a kid, but it's really hard to remain a fan of a team that is just so perennially awful. Uh, I think when Barry Sanders announced his retirement, I also retired as a 15 year old or whatever the fuck as a fan. But they're they're still in playoff contention. If they win against San Francisco tomorrow, they go to the Super Bowl. And I don't don't get me wrong. Don't mistake me for caring. I don't care. I've got a friend who's taken his son out for the game uh, from Florida to uh, uh, to San Francisco. That's phenomenal. Uh, I hope they have a great time. I hope that the Lions win. Uh, but yeah, I wanted to record before they've dashed our hopes and dreams, so to speak. So the, the hope is still alive. Shout out to any Lions fans who might be hanging out right now with us. Uh, I've complained about the weather. I've been informed by a couple of you via email that the uh, uh, by flaunting my Florida man privilege and complaining about the 50 and 60 degree weather, it was a rude or forward. I apologize. Uh, I will stop complaining about the weather, and instead I will start showboating about the weather because it is officially shorts wearing season. So the uh, two to three week period where I had to, uh, you know, unbox my my four year old pair of jeans. That the the that dark and dreary season is behind us, and I am back to wearing my standard issue next level six dollar t shirt. And nineteen dollar Chino Uniqlo short. It was warm. It was uncomfortably warm yesterday. We uh, took out uh, um, Anthony and Leticia Eden. Uh, they're the owners of DN Simple. So I should link to DN Simple in the show notes. DN Simple is a wonderful uh, domain name service provider. Uh, the, the their name server stuff is excellent and kind of geared more towards businesses who need real reliability, but the pricing is also great for individuals who just need, you know, 
to host a website and they don't i don't think they don't i don't think they host on a lot of podcasts so if you've heard ads for hover or other uh very marketing forward domain name providers dn simple is a little bit more low-key it is a a family owned and operated business uh they've got uh, a, a wonderful staff that's all around the world uh and if you've been a ruby on rails developer in particular you probably know dn simple because uh, not only is it a rails application but they've been very active in the community going a long time now uh, we're all we're all getting older together uh and so uh, the, the all these years tend to increment in lockstep which is a funny way that uh, we are reminded that we all flow down the river of time together to its ultimate destination, which is probably resembling something like Niagara Falls, and then we go over the edge at our own pace. Uh, the other, the only other life thing, let's see, what's going on? Ah, yes, uh, my brother, uh, Jeremy, he is in possession. He came into possession, I will say no more, of an Iron Man outfit, costume suit an iron man suit now was it tony stark's actual iron man suit no because tony stark is a fictional character was it uh produced by disney to to walk around in the parks uh no we don't think so uh was it a uh a, a device that was created by a uh a kooky billionaire who who who, who had a marvel fetish possibly all I know is Jeremy has spent two years refurbishing this thing and taking it to the next level where it is, boy, it, it ripped out all the wiring. He replaced it with Arduinos. He got into chat GPT just because uh, it turns out GPT is really good at doing things that people do a lot, right? There's a huge corpus of, hey, program this C function. And so he was able to reprogram with Arduinos like really advanced audio, uh, very advanced, um, uh, what do you call them? Servos and, and robotics for like automatically opening the face shield and closing it, the LEDs behind it, the repulsor jets and, and syncing all that to audio with a controller. And then with a gesture system, as I say it now, it does sound pretty impressive. Uh, my experience has been mostly, I come over to my brother's house for dinner and then I find that the dining table is, has a sheet over it. And, and as if there's a corpse there and the, and the corpse is a laid out Iron Man. <laughs> uh, but anyway, he, he recently did a reel over on the Instagrams uh, that I'll link to just to show kind of how impressive his work has been. And he's going to be at Megacon. I guess this is now a sponsor read. You want to see a very distressingly realistic Iron Man with a guy who has even better hair than uh, Robert Downey Jr. ever did. Just putting that out there. You can go uh, to the Megacon comic convention in Orlando. I think he's going to be there February 3rd. Uh, I'm only sharing that because I assume he's going to be mobbed 24-7 while he's there. Uh, because I think all the, the high-end cosplayers tend to get absolutely mobbed. Uh, and uh, uh, hopefully the fact that he is uh, going to have some uh, an entourage to, to protect him. I hope he makes it out of there because as far as I know, the little uh, uh, whistly rocket things don't actually work and he can't actually fly away. He, he's just got to, you know, take off the suit and get into his Mustang and then drive off into the sunset. All right. Uh, so that's my life updates. Let's see. What do we got? So uh, moving on to follow up. See, look, we're at 12 minutes in. We're just blowing through this this podcast, which might take 
a while ultimately because there's a lot to get through but follow up only a couple items only a couple little items today uh you know only a week has passed since last week it's been it's been a short week not a lot going on one piece of follow-up is half news half a thing that we talked about last week but uh recall last week i pointed out a pun by aaron uh where aaron had said that he wishes that siri was multilingual and able to dictate oh boy i just said the word oh man all right he said that dingus was wishes dingus was multilingual so so that it could read back messages in all their other language rather than just just punt immediately and while siri itself oh said it again while dingus itself is not yet multilingual and and no immediate signs that it's going to be able to take for example like ideally it would take a complex query that you know in a single sentence blurred together used multiple languages that would be the dream while there's not even a sign that it will be able to take normal requests uh like create a reminder or create a calendar event you know the typical 18 things siri knows how to do in multiple languages at once only always pairing with whatever the primary language is on your device 17.4 ios 17.4 and the i assume the smattering of other related operating systems has a new messaging with siri feature and so i think pigging back on the uh uh oh, what do they call it the the announced notifications feature where if you've got airpods in siri will just talk to you and read your notifications as they come in you will now be able to at least on the listening side it's not abundantly clear select a number of languages that, that that are sort of like downloads like download packs for the languages that you anticipate getting messages in or maybe the languages that you understand that you can field and then when it uh when when it dingus uh announces one of those messages to you you will be able to hear it so if you speak spanish you'll be able to click english and spanish and siri will oh I said it again dingus will read the messages uh i like to pause when i'm speaking you know give your brain a chance to to, to, to exist in dialogue with me as I chat. But every time I say the S word, I freeze because in terror, because I have the personal requests feature turned on with Dingus. And who knows how many of my tawdry details in my life Dingus would be happy to share with all of you. And could I edit out those, those salacious details? of my life of whatever the you know the uh <laughs> i don't know i i don't want to even joke but i do kind of want to joke uh, you know if, if siri were to read hey reminder it's time for your you know hemorrhoid cream or whatever did i just say siri i did and i just did it again and reference to it this is very challenging to not you to have one word you're just not allowed to say uh yeah could I edit that out if the, if that were to happen? Hypothetically, yes, I could edit that out. Now, would I remember three, two, three hours later when I'm sick of staring at a screen and speaking into a microphone, would I remember to edit that out? Absolutely not. And would I listen to the entire podcast before I hit publish? No. Now, I do listen after the fact. I, I, I have subscribed to my own podcast. I, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't know if this is a term of service violation, but you know, I'm in the podcast app right there and there's a, there's a star ranking. I hit five stars on my own podcast. I'm, I'm not afraid to admit it. Everyone likes the smell of their own blend, right? I hope. 
If you were to record a podcast and you listened to it and you hated it, that would, that would be unfortunate. I'd probably stop. But I think, you know, we got a good thing going here, you and I. Uh, and if, if you enjoy that thing, why don't you open your podcast app and click the little star button? You could even write a review. Uh, if you'd like, I'd appreciate it. Now, do I care? Like, I mean, I care because I care about you. But uh, <laughs> I am very fortunate to have no incentive structure. There's no sponsors on this thing. This is not a business. This is just a man who was told that his ideas mattered a little bit too much and he needs to get them out now because he is too self-important. But, you know, hey, not to sell myself short, I think I've got a few good ideas. At least I've got an angle, even if that angle is just an overwrought persona. Uh, Let's see. So, yeah. Dingus speaking to you in multiple languages as follow-up. Somebody emailed, (laughs) I think it was Mike. McQuaid, the, uh, you may know him as the lead maintainer of homebrew. Mike's a friend of mine. Uh, homebrew is a, uh, a, a package manager and installer thing for, I don't know how to describe it. Mike is probably listening to this. Hello, Mike. If you know what homebrew is, if you know, you know, uh, yeah, he emailed me or texted me and said, Hey, it's, I'd almost believe that this, uh, Siri feature was introduced because of you because of this podcast, although I think he and I both know that Apple's pipeline for new feature development is uh, terrifically long. This is probably something that's been in the works for for several years. But I am no less grateful, and I will turn this on the instant that 17.4 releases. The other piece of follow-up, you know, last week I talked a little bit about having owned a lot of different VR headsets over the years, and of course, if you've owned the Oculus uh, developer kit uh, uh, Oculus Rift Developer Kit 2, like I mentioned, and all the way up to the Valve Index, it probably means that you play a lot of VR games. And I did play a lot of VR games, and I enjoyed a lot of VR games. But if you follow VR games, you would know that the bottom fell out of the floor on the VR game market, in part because none of them performed particularly well from a financial perspective. Beat Saber did. Of course, you know, the meta buys Beat Saber. Uh, a lot of the, the really successful breakout games have been bought by meta. But what really happened was that people who were VR, virtual reality, gaming enthusiasts, was there's not enough of them to warrant AAA production of games. And as a result, the most popular VR games are games that came out in 2015 when, when uh, you know, maybe the HTC Vive or Steam VR first launched. And that's disappointing. That's a bummer. As a VR gaming fan, there just aren't a lot of new games left, but... Uh, say what you will about the current VR gaming market. You know, Apple has gone out of their way to make the Vision Pro not a gaming headset. They don't want this to look like just another one of those. Uh, they want you to think that this is a new era of computing generally. And so they don't have a gaming story. In fact, if you have ever played a VR game, there's typically they're referred to as two different styles. One is a seated experience where you sit down or maybe a stationary where you're standing and everything kind of happens around you. Uh, another is called a room scale where you will carve out, you'll move couches if necessary to carve out a playable space. Maybe it's six by six or nine by six or 12 by four. Some games, uh, require incredibly large spaces. Like there's a, uh, 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 what is it called? Space pirate something released a new version that basically requires half a tennis court. (laughs) 
uh, uh, to create an arena that you could run around in. Those room scale experiences are some of the best experiences you can have in VR. And there have been actually research tests in when you get a room of a certain size, and I think that room size was roughly half a tennis court size, you can actually use the onboard math capabilities of a headset, if it is tracking you, to gently distort what you are seeing so that, you know, if you think you're walking in a straight line, it is actually steering you 10 degrees to the right. <laughs> uh, I won't even bother finding this through the show notes because it would take me forever to find the link. But there is a video of a dude walking in circles and you look at his feet and he thinks he's walking down a straight path because our brains are real dumb, just, you know, meat sickles. And uh it effectively proved that what you don't, you don't need like a treadmill. Like if you've ever seen hackers from the early nineties, Angelina Jolie's breakout film and zero cool guy whose name I don't remember who, uh, you know, if you, uh, the guy who played the killer in scream also in that movie, there we go. That's uh, the second scream reference. He played serial killer, but C E R E A L. Anyway, the, the villain, the antagonist in that film was on a VR headset and he was on a treadmill like thing so he could walk around while he's in his game or in his thing. So treadmills have been seen as a, a cool thing for VR gaming because you could be relatively stationary. But as far as you and your concept existed, you could go in all, all these directions. Now, of course, having a, a truly 360 degree and stationary treadmill is a sort of like. Actually, it's, you know, it's kind of like being an infant in one of those little seated UFO things where you got like a circular tray around you and you're kind of like toddling around and the wheels are pushing you around. I had one of those when I was a baby. I don't think they do those anymore so much. First of all, because you could easily launch yourself off the stairs as I believe that I did once as a child. My mother denies it. And also it's probably unlike training wheels. I think it just, it delays the development of actually learning how to walk because you just kind of have this very convenient way to fall forward. But anyway, yes, you're in you're in one of those little what are, whatever you called them, toddly doodads. So that was thought for a long time is like that will solve the mobility problem in VR. But the idea that you could just hack people's brains to get them trick their brain into walking subtly to the right or subtly to the left while they think they're walking straight gives them an infinite amount of runway effectively. Now, that's not going to solve every single problem, but it's it's interesting to think about for sure. Uh, where was I going with that? Oh yeah. So yeah, last, last week I didn't really talk about the gaming implications for the, for the vision pro. It's not Apple isn't supporting room scale is, is the TLDR. There's no API in version one where you can have a room scale like VR experience. In fact, fully immersive VR is not only all seated or, or stationary. There's just a lot of limitations you know, for games in particular, because you don't control any of the rendering pipeline that all happens via unity and you just pass the meshes and Apple, the operating system controls uh, the rendering of those meshes. And there's, there's privacy implications there. So like you as the game developer have less data about the user's environment where their gaze is looking. So a, a, a game where your, your aim is linked to the direction that you're looking in, maybe that's not possible. It's not totally clear. I don't know if that's been sorted, 
but because Apple controls the rendering pipeline as well, it means that anything like uh, uh, um, ambient occlusion of, 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 of those messages with the environment and the angle people are looking at them, the, the reflective surfaces where like Apple's Vision Pro, one of the cool things is it takes light into effect. So, 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 so 3D rendered objects actually cast realistic shadows that kind of tricks your brain. All that stuff, as far as I know, even in the immersive environments, Apple still controls a lot of that pipeline. So that's going to limit games, period. But the fact that you can't do any room scale like activities means some of the best VR games or even conceivable hypothetical games that haven't been developed yet aren't possible on the platform. Now, Apple's disinterest in gaming is, is, is famous. But they're at least talking a big game recently. They're currently they go in peaks and valleys of giving a shit about gaming. And they're talking a lot about it on the Mac line right now because the M3 series of chips are absolute screamers from a GPU performance perspective. And they've really been investing in the graphics processing capabilities of their chips over the last couple of years. And, and the M3 was the culmination of that. And so they want to show off their gaming prowess. Of course, the, the, the Vision Pro ships with an M2, which has a, a much weaker GPU. And of course, the thermal constraints of that device are going to probably be the, 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 the most constrained thermal envelope for any of its products. So we're not talking AAA gaming, but it's it's definitely the beats the pants off of any other self-enclosed uh, headset on the market. And so the, the idea that you would use this for games is really appealing. And even then, if I could plug a Vision Pro in, like I can plug an uh, Oculus Quest 2 into a desktop computer with a real beefy graphics card, if I could do that, I would much rather do that even or do it wirelessly and stream the game to the headset. If Because if that can happen fast enough for low latency, 90 frames per second, then you don't have the headset generating all this heat. Your, your graphical fidelity isn't limited to whatever you can happen on board on the headset. In fact, early versions of the Vision Pro were said to require a kind of little like <laughs> probably looked like the original Apple Airport, like a little nubbin that sat on a desk and was kind of like a little pyramid of all the computing power so that the headset would be lighter and, and, and lower power. And then they later redesigned it and now it's all self-enclosed. So like I mentioned, Quest 2 has an Oculus Link capability where you can plug it into a Windows machine with a special USB-C cable that, that Meta sells. Third-party ones, I, I tried this, it was iffy. And then they also have a wireless Quest Link, which is surprisingly good. You would think that the bandwidth and radio frequency requirements for such a thing would be uh, prohibitively challenging, but it works great. Uh, you know, I, I played probably 150 hours of No Man's Sky piloting my little, you know, spaceships and, and organizing my base uh, 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 from my from my chair at the other side of the room from my computer wirelessly. In theory, Vision Pro could do all this. Now, Apple seems to have no appetite for it. But what I just realized last night was that just a couple months ago on the Quest 2 and the Quest 3, rather than use the built-in operating system level Oculus Link or Rift Link, whatever they call it, probably Oculus Link now, they've deprecated the, the Rift brand and the Oculus brand, I don't know, whatever. In addition, Valve, the people who are behind the Steam store, have released Steam Link, which is a familiar app, uh, familiar, you know, 
pseudo platform that lets you control your 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 games remotely whether it's from a, a set top box or your your tablet or your phone and play games you know either on the same network or even over the internet in some cases so steam link has come to the quest 2 and quest 3 and i was thinking like is there anything in the vision pro that would prevent steam link from working on the vision pro and that is less clear to me uh, because then the, the 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 room scale and everything like that, because it's getting translated, it might actually like be the best path forward for AAA gaming on the Vision Pro, if Apple approves it. Uh, so yeah, that thinking about that, I really hope that there's something something there. And that's it for follow up. That's all we got today. Uh, we're we're blowing through nap time. It's a light light day. All right. Well, I say that. I don't want to get your hopes up. It is anything but a light day. Things are about to get heavy. Just prepare yourself. And because whenever things get heavy, you know what I need? I need a pun. I need a pun from my friend Aaron. Hey, Aaron, lighten it up. Aaron has sent me a pun, and I'm looking at it now. I can't see it because it was sent with invisible ink, so I'm going to hover my mouse over it. Oh, man. This is a thinker. This one, I need you to prepare yourself for this one because it might not land at first. However long I paused is how long it took me to understand what Aaron, Aaron's brilliant pun was, was getting at here. So I will read the pun. I wonder what Tapa's restaurants have to say about this EU app store ruling. I wonder what Tapa's restaurants have to say about this EU app store ruling. Now, Tapa's, you know, a type of effectively a small plate appetizer in Spain. Spain is in the EU uh, and, and appetizers are often referred to as apps. So there you go. That's that's the link. <laughs> we are going to copy this text and pop over to the spreadsheet version three of the podcast here we are on january 27th 2024 paste that in boy i think on a you know you would rate these on a couple levels if this was the olympics there'd be the 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 potential score like the difficulty score and then the execution score and i think on a difficulty score, I might rate this more highly because he's connecting Europe, three concepts, Europe, appetizers, a linkage, like a cultural link to between appetizers and tapas, and then a shorthand from appetizer to app. So that's a long chain. So did he stick the landing? From an execution side, I'd say, yeah. So we're, you know, we've had three puns so far. I would rate this number two. This would be ahead of, I am excited about Apple Vision Pro. I heard spatial computing will be out of this world. Uh, because I think that's a little low from both a, a difficulty and, a, and an execution, just to be honest. Perspective. But not quite as good as breaking change. Sorry, I don't carry cash, which has grown on me now. I thought that was a bad pun, but then I got these two. 
And now that's number one. It's it's the reigning champ, three weeks going. Uh, when Aaron listens to this, when he gets around to it, I wonder how he'll feel. All right. So that's the pun, pun of the day. Check, check, check. We did our, my life updates, follow up from the last time. Got the pun out. Boy, all that's left, the, the front half is complete. We're going to close the door on our discussion today. But boy, the back half is scaring me. There's a lot of things on this list. I don't want you to dread it. Why am I, why am I working this up into something that you should be scared of? You should be mm, excited. There's, there's good stuff. There's good stuff to talk about here. But I might need a sip of water. I might need to prepare myself, steal myself for the oncoming takes because a lot of people think that, that as a, as a, as a highly opinionated person on the internet, the, the, to, to spew a take, we talk about like a, the, 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 all the takes online and like, you know, doom scrolling and all that we think of as the recipient, the toll that takes take on our bodies. <laughs> But as the conduit, I can tell you that uh, uh, it's like being like an electric circuit breaker, right? You know, got this much voltage going through you all day, every day, and it is corrosive uh, to, to, to have to channel these takes. And so I need, I need a little bit of hydration and or lubrication. <sighs> Phrasing. I'm just going to say hydration. It's, a, it's water. There's nothing untoward. So one, one moment. So kicking off the news, uh, like I mentioned, the reason that we're here today is I wanted to clear the deck of all of the, especially the Apple stuff, but also, you know, hopefully we can get up, caught up on the mailbag. Clear the deck before the Vision Pro hits, because I think that a, a brand new Apple platform doesn't happen every day. And Apple platforms... I find them interesting because they're the nicest full stop. They're just nice. And I like nice things and I like nice experiences and are they buggy? Yes. But unfortunately everything's buggy. So all things being equal, I want to be able to focus on the vision pro when we're, when we're talking about that. <sighs> we're going to start on a high note. Uh, uh, this, this, this week marked the 40th anniversary of the Macintosh. So if you've been using a Mac for all 40 years, uh, you really should have bought Apple stock instead of that Mac. He says as instead of investing $4,000, he, he buys himself a vision pro. This is a perennial issue. Uh, yeah. So the 40th anniversary of the Mac, great platform. They're fun computers. My first Mac I switched from PC. I had a, my final PC that I purchased was a Dell Inspiron, uh, insert numbers and letters here, laptop, very heavy, big old PCM CIA slot, uh, good screen. I think 15 inches, good, good quality screen, high resolution for the time. Like I want to say 1600 by 1200. This is like 2002, 2000, 2003, uh, had a good GPU. It was great computer to bring with me to college a uh, shitty battery had a dvd player yeah it was pretty nice but i got a job at actually it was 
for the campus IT department, which was in the lobby or in the lobby library, the basement of the library, because they knew where the programmers uh, should go. So we went into the basement. There were no windows. And I was in a little thing called the digital studio. And they, they, they did an awesome job, actually, of making it very um, modern and cool. And we did uh, it was actually such a neat concept, only funded three or four students to work on stuff. But instead of working on any particular thing, professors who had, you know, teaching and learning objectives or ideas for how to use software in the classroom as part of their curriculum could come to the digital studio, work with us, and we would, you know, maybe make a flash game, right? Or maybe make a little website or, you know, when, when the campus rolled out Wi-Fi everywhere, we designed the Wi-Fi logo because that was not yet set in stone what a Wi-Fi logo should look like necessarily and hung them all over campus. Well, I didn't hang them, but I, I, I drag dropped a PNG image, which did require some manual labor. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it was like, you know, those little hockey pucks shaped Apple mouses were just RSI inducing, you know, cause he had to make that look like bear claw. And I had to drag at least three inches to get that PNG file dragged over into the folder, a shared drive, so that the people who do real work could print it out and then drive all over and hang them up everywhere. So that was fun. I did um, a lot of fun projects. Maybe I'll talk about more of them later. But because they were trying to seem cool and hip, it was also the place on campus that had the best computers, and those computers were all Apple Macs. And I was skeptical. I like nice things though. I'd been following Apple for years. I'd been I, I, when uh, Tech TV would play the the early two thousands keynotes. I was always enthralled because they were such productions. I remember watching a what felt like a half an hour long dissertation about pipeline stages in the PowerPC architecture uh, on Tech TV in high school, uh, and thinking, oh, "Wow, uh, Apple really is uh, in the weeds here." Uh, you, you don't see that anymore. Although I guess you sort of do uh, the, that now that they're in their own chips, they, they can sometimes really go off the deep end trying to highlight why they're better than the competition. So I was a fan of the brand. I visited one of the early Apple stores when Apple retail opened. I want to say it was before, right? They opened before 2003, but there I was in actually, I think 2004 is when I got the job in the, the that spring and all the computers were Macs and all I knew was PCs. And I was using Unix uh, workstations for my computer science. And that was not going great. So I had a deluxo Pixar shaped, you know, the, 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 the G4 iMac where it had a, glo- a half glo- semi globe, a globular, a globe shaped, just the base. You know, the base was like half sphere. You have a sear, you cut off half the sear, you plant it on a table, and that was the base of the G4 iMac. And then you had a, it's hard to describe the handle. The handle is thick. You had a girthy steel chrome-like handle. And on that handle, you could have 360 degrees of motion to arrange the the display which which felt huge at the time but i am sure was something like 14 or 17 inches max and you you could tilt the display as well so you could really from a from a somebody who's always suffered back pain especially then i had really terrible acute back pain 
The design of the thing was so cool. It just looked like it was from the future. I thought all computers are going to be like that. And then Apple within a year or two was like, nope, we're going to make iMacs look like pizza boxes for over 10 years, almost 15 years. Uh, but it felt so cool. And it was in the, the era of, I think, um, Mac OS 10, 10.3 Panther, Panther Jaguar. And it was just like the, the user interface was the, the, the quote unquote lickable interface uh, the aqua elements the big 3d render buttons it just felt so different from you know windows xp which was a much more workaday kind of thing or or linux which was just so ugh, so user hostile so my first mac was uh uh the one i used there was a g4 imac and i was i i i, I was so uh you wouldn't believe this mouthy that i was like well this is pretty cool but for me to switch you know, to PC from PC to, to Mac, I'd have to figure out how to do these 35 different things that I know how to do in windows cold. And most of them are keyboard shortcuts. And of course, back then it was harder to Google for a lot of this stuff. Uh, Mac OS 10 tricks.com, I think was a website that was, I think there's still maybe an archive mode out there, but the other employees, uh, and the other interns, uh, in the digital studio, uh, they, they worked with me to work through the list and I checked off all the items on the list and that, and it was sort of like a, in an office dare where if like you can convince me, yeah, I think the last one was how do I select the, the URL location bar in Safari or in the, in the browser, whether it was Safari or IE 5.5, I think, uh, with a, with a keyboard shortcut because alt D which is the windows keyboard shortcut didn't work on the Mac. And, and of course, you know, alt option are the same thing. And, and what I, what I learned, I think John, uh, my colleague said, Hey, it's command L for like location. And I hit it and it worked and he's like, all right, you got to buy a Mac now. So I took what little money I'd made, uh, working $10 an hour there. And I, I probably paid more than that in aggregate to get a 12 inch iBook, uh, polycarbonate, you know, frame white little little itty bitty guy i think 1024 by 768 screen uh it shipped with a uh an airport express card so like even though i ordered it configured with the wi-fi i think i'm pretty sure that the wi-fi chip came separately <laughs> for whatever reason i don't know if they always did that if, if it was built order or what but i i had to pick up the you know the the keyboard had two little clips i remember You'd pick up the keyboard and then you you unscrew a couple things and you could shove the the Wi-Fi card underneath the keyboard there. And boy, was that just a delightful computer! I took that computer with me to Japan for six months uh, in college uh, 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 when I studied abroad, and I got and that's why you know if I could have afforded it, the Mac that I would have gotten was the 12-inch G4 PowerBook because that had that edge-to-edge keyboard. It was thick with two C's it was thick but man that was a handsome computer and it was actually more performant the 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 g4 ibook it left me plenty of time to think in between running commands and, and compiling code and refreshing pages and the you know the boot time was hilarious uh whenever you had to restart uh yeah that mac uh served me really well until the intel transition several years later i <laughs> when os 10 tiger came out I, th I think I had the DVD shipped to me, I think. Yeah. And it arrived. I, I got it from the, from the campus mail service 
Yeah. And I, I, it was right before a class and me being a dummy, I took the, I took the laptop with me to all my classes and I, I, I would start taking notes. This is actually, I guess, before the Wi-Fi signs had gone up, come to think of it. So we didn't have the internet access. So I had a, an app called Voodoo, which was a, a local wiki. So you could take notes in a wiki form and link back. And I'm sure a lot of people use Obsidian for, for this sort of thing now. So I'd, I'd create wikis in my classes to keep straight all the concepts and the terms uh, in like history or in my computer science courses. And I was in computer science class. So everyone was used to seeing me with a laptop. Not a lot of, not a lot of folks carried laptops to lectures then. And again, the 12 inch was clutch because it's 12 inch, but like, you know, it's also pretty thick and it's, you know, a solid, probably four and a half pounds. Yeah. I took the tiger installation DVD and on that thing's little anemic battery, I decided, you know what? I'm going to listen to this lecture. I'm going to listen to professor, uh, talk about data structures. I'm going to pop in this DVD. I'm going to hit restart and I'm going to click upgrade. And I started installing an operating system on battery during a lecture. And wouldn't you know it, wouldn't you know it? Uh, the, uh, the battery started, it, it, the computer was running pretty hot cause it's spinning the DVD drive and it's also churning the, the, the hard disk. It was making enough noise that other people are looking at me. Uh, it's, it's feeling hot to the touch. And I'm thinking this is unfortunate that there is not a battery indicator on this screen because it didn't have the menu bar while it was upgrading. And I thought this is one of the stupidest things that I have ever done. And sure enough, the battery died, it failed. And then that's when I got to learn how to do my first ever, uh, clean, <laughs> clean restore of, of, of a Mac. So I rebooted later on that day, wiped the whole thing, started over from scratch. I'm not sure if I recovered any of my files. Oh, well. So yeah, 40th anniversary with the Mac, important platform. Fun to walk down memory lane for a minute. Apple has been on a tear in part because they've got some deadlines, some extrinsic deadlines. What they would probably like is for this month to be all about uh, Apple Vision Pro uh, in the lead up to that product's release and that platform's public unveiling they would probably love for us all to be talking about that. And so maybe they're trying to clear the deck too, but I suspect what's happening is the, the digital markets act in the European union goes into effect in March and it stipulates a lot of new requirements for Apple and for platform holders, um, of both messaging apps and people who have app stores, uh, in certain classifications and so forth. Lots of, lots of exclusions. For example, iMessage is, is not going to get regulated. It turns out, but in order to comply with the Digital Markets Act, the DMA, Apple needs to get out a new version of the operating system. And in order to do that, they need to put it out to beta first to make sure there's no show stopping bugs, which means they need about a month lead time. And rather than make it the story of the week of the Vision Pro, they put out the 17.4 beta now. And, uh, you know, there's certain things you just can't hide when you put a, put, put a beta out you know, uh, uh, they got to announce these features because it's, it's hiding in the code. Even if, if, if certain flips haven't been switched, wait a second, if certain switches haven't been flipped. So yeah, the, the 17.4 beta hit. Uh, and as a result, you, you may have noticed this if you follow tech news, but like Mac rumors and, 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 and the verge and Ars Technica just became a scrawl of like a half day of news stories around this new Apple update and, and it's got some normal feature updates you know one of them that i think is really neat 
that I got, uh, got a heads up on because they emailed people who have podcasts. Uh, since I'm in the media and I have a podcast, uh, Apple, someone from Apple PR was very kind to send me this automated email that it sent to everyone who's ever registered a podcast saying that they, they are now producing transcripts, automated transcripts that AI, I assume, that machine learning, whatever you want to call it, will be generated for each podcast in their directory and that the transcript of the podcast will, I think, in the user interface, kind of reflect, because they're generating it, they know the timestamps of every single phenome and grunt and verbalization and um. And so they can do the thing they do with the Apple Music app where you can almost be on karaoke mode and see the, see the word bounce and be highlighted as it's spoken, which is pretty neat. So I'm glad that I was procrastinating. I can check the box on figure out transcripts for my podcast because they will be on Apple Podcasts. And if you want transcripts, you can use Apple Podcasts. There, I said it. Uh, also, not publishing those transcripts onto my website because I don't want to feed Google with all of my toxic energy. I like to be able to think that I can tell you secrets here and because only a few people listen or would have to have the patience of putting up with this shit for an hour, that your reward for that is learning stuff that I would rather not be on Google. Did I mention hemorrhoid cream earlier? I did. I did mention hemorrhoid cream earlier. That is not not to say anything of its actual existence in the, the, the sphere of my life. Uh, I, I do not use it. I, I'm vain enough to let you know that was just an example and it's not an actual thing that, that I use. I'm fortunate to be hemorrhoid free as far as I know. All right. Uh, too much hemorrhoid talk. That's I'm going to, I'm going to take a note. Actually, I'm going to reduce the amount of hemorrhoid references on this, uh, internet radio show because it's probably not, not going to do numbers. Podcast, podcast transcripts. That was probably the coolest thing in the beta in terms of a new feature. This beta is mostly about bad news, <laughs> for at least from Apple's perspective. And of course, when, when Apple has to comply with something, they will do it in the most teeth-grittingly resistant way that they possibly can because they are a bunch of man children who, who, who want control and want to make as much money as possible. And also like, it's totally their right and it's fine. It doesn't really matter. People are getting real mad about this. And that's kind of what I want to talk about it. Uh, but other, other stuff in 17.4. So like I mentioned, when you put out a beta piece of software, you might not even announce a certain thing, but, but, but folks will, if not decompile, they're going to go through all of the symbols, uh, and all of the little strings of text that are encoded in that operating system. And they're going to try to read the tea leaves. And one of those tea leaves says that it looks clear that they're preparing a summarization API. Hey, Siri, summarize this text or summarize this maybe even images. I don't, I'm not sure. I haven't looked closely, but, but, but Siri will be able to summarize things into natural human language. And not only are they, have they tipped their hand a little bit, but it seems clear from the, some of the symbols and the reporting that that's out there is that they're in, in the current state calling through to open AI's remote APIs to test it internally. So this isn't something that's public facing yet, but you can imagine how, uh, how much user interface work would go into, uh, introducing this as a, as a, framework level or an operating system level service. And if they're, if their LLM is not ready yet to run on device, but they think it will be, 
then they're calling through to OpenAI to 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 effectively use ChatGPT for testing the the rest of the stack of the software, while the uh, the quants, the 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 AI math people, figure out how to make their own AI model, LLM model that's good enough that that can run under on the device locally, privately, and 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 within their their kind of very particular set of constraints. So yeah, that 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 leaked, I guess, uh, and. Apple tends to not drop shit like that into their releases unless they kind of have to. It would be difficult to extract it all, and it would only be difficult to extract if they have an imminent plan to release it. And so that means while it's probably not coming in a theoretical 17.5, it does mean it seems likely that iOS 18 is, thank God, going to have some kind of operating system level LLM text generation features that in my sincere hope are on device are private and most importantly free <laughs> because I don't want to release an application that depends on cool AI features that then depend on API calls to open AI that depend on both a network connection uh, that, 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 that could go off the rails in any number of ways, but most importantly are pretty expensive API calls and they're all charged a la carte. So that's a good sign. That's a great sign actually. So that's another here, here, you know, I braced you for, for some tough news, but what do we have? We have the 40th anniversary of the Mac. We got podcast transcripts and we've got the likely outcome of a chat GPT like, but probably almost certainly not a chat interface, just a thing that apps will be able to use to present information in new and compelling ways. All that is very positive. It's good. And there's one more that is pretty damn slick. And that is that Apple has revealed that cloud gaming streaming services, like uh, I mentioned Steam Link earlier, Steam Link kind of snuck in the back door because no one really cares about Valve. Uh, Apple and Valve have a long time partnership on a, on a handful of things. And, you know, it's a whether or not you can stream your Steam games or not is not a big deal. Uh, at one point, there was a conflict because Apple didn't want Steam to sell you apps. Uh, uh, so you can't access the Steam store via Steam Link, but like, you know, you can play the games. Apple similarly has, has held the line and not allowed NVIDIA GeForce Now, has not allowed most notably probably the Xbox Game Pass cloud gaming, xCloud, whatever... The, fucking language microsoft lands on for this microsoft's rather impressive uh game streaming infrastructure and as a result it has forced all of those tools all the all the streaming platforms to the browser to progressive web applications which you know getting a progressive web application to like render buttons that feel like buttons is an impossibly difficult task so the idea that you would take a web browser application on iOS, uh, 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 some JavaScript, and also stream two-way video and con and link to a controller via Bluetooth over over a web page, and and play AAA games, you know, over a streaming connection on, via the website, you know, as opposed to a real native application that has all of the facilities and functions of, you know, more operating system integration as opposed to just running in a web page. Uh, that was a real challenging constraint. And I've played with it a couple times and it's impressive as a, as a, Hey, look, I did this, but it's not exactly a pleasant experience. You know, you get, you know, uh, 
cookie issues and session resets. It's just not, it, it, you know, it's slow, it's clunky, the, 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 the controllers don't work. And so I'd been disappointed for a while that, that cloud gaming, streaming gaming, because the idea is exactly analogous to having a virtual reality headset that's kind of a dumb client that connects to a much stronger computer. While cloud gaming may never be the primary way, way that people play games, if you can get the latency down, and you don't have that many hops over uh, pieces of network infrastructure between you and whatever computer is running the game, it's a, it, it makes sense. You just let the screen be a dumb screen, let your controller kind of, you know, uh, um, shoot input up to that computer that's actually running the game. And as long as you're not doing something that really requires low latency, like uh, playing a rhythm game, uh, it's feasible and it would be nice. And it, make, it certainly makes more sense than having every single device be, you know, so beefy and over-provisioned from, 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 a, from a resources perspective that you got to slap a fan on or a heat sink onto the back of the phone. So anyway, that's, that's pretty cool. So I fully expect that by the end of the year, there will be a Microsoft first-party cloud gaming xCloud app for iOS. And that would be neat. Uh, and we may see other entrants doing similarly the we're going to move on to the more uh let's call them controversial uh bits of apple news where where people might feel like they want to take a stand uh one of them briefly if you haven't been following the blood oxygen sensor debacle that apple's in with a company called massimo they Massimo creates uh, has a bunch of patents on some of those have been invalidated in court, but some are still seen as not only valid, but that Apple is seen to be as infringing of creates medical devices that measure your blood oxygen. They do so um, without piercing the skin or having to take a blood draw, which is a big deal, especially in certain cases where, uh, uh, you know, that that would be infeasible or, 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 or too difficult for, for cases where you're worried about somebody's blood oxygen over time. So they make those kinds of products. They got those patents and uh, they have been found to be. Apple has been found to be in violation of at least one of them, such that an import ban is back in effect and Apple is not able to import watches, Apple Watch products that have the blood oxygen sensor enabled uh, for now. And so while that's still kind of working through, while them and Massimo are trying to sort out some kind of licensing agreement or Apple does a hostile takeover, whatever it is, or Apple just turns it off. And I always thought Apple would just turn it off because it's like the blood oxygen sensor is like no one bought the Apple watch because of the blood oxygen sensor. I mean, it's advertised. It's a feature when there's no other upgrades in the given year except for the blood oxygen sensor. Like, yeah, in that particular year, people bought it for that reason. But those people already bought that was two or three watches ago. Yeah, so 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 what Apple did was the obvious thing. They're like, well, until we get this figured out, all new watches imported after this date, we're going to adjust their serial number such that to to indicate that this one doesn't have the blood oxygen sensor uh, available. And yeah, they just turned it off. And so that's a bummer, right? Like patents are patents aren't fun. Software patents are are in particular kind of sticky. Uh, patents are are just a part of life. And if you if you're not in software and you don't think about patents very much, good. If you are in software and you are forced to think about patents a lot, that sucks. 
In general, really big companies have a patent portfolio and they aggressively will. If you're an engineer at one of those companies, you might have somebody from legal chime in every now and then and be, hey, do we have any patentable shit? And they're not thinking in terms of as an innovator. They're thinking defensively, is there anything that we're doing that we can get a patent on so that we can put that in our war chest and use as a countermeasure if anyone were to ever sue us for infringing on their patents uh, so that we can come up with you know some sort of stalemate in the patent wars and create a um, you know some kind of cross licensing agreement where you know i'm sure microsoft and apple for example have all kinds of operating system related patents and they have a cross licensing agreement that basically just gives each other free reign to violate one another's patents because they 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 are so intermeshed but that is two relative equals because they're in the same kind of business they're in the same sort of scale if you're a little guy Massimo is relatively little, or if you're a patent troll, which Massimo is not, but lots of these companies will buy a bunch of patents and then just try to use them as uh, kamikaze uh, uh, pilots to just crash into really large companies and extract rent uh, in the form of uh, uh, licensing fees where like, you know, if you don't license this patent, you either have to go to court, get it invalidated. Courts are typically not particularly patient with patent trolls because it's seen as, you know, against the spirit of what patents were for, where in the story of America, the idea of patents was it would uh, incentivize inventors to invent things and protect inventors' inventions so that the person who invented a thing would be the one who uh, is remunerated financially and economically so long as they bring a product to market within a set amount of time. It makes plenty of sense in the abstract. But in practice, if you're two symmetrical, powerful companies, you're just going to have a cross licensing agreement as sort of a mutually assured destruction. And if you if there's an asymmetry like Apple and this much smaller Massimo firm that is just focused on blood oxygen, and that's the, the hill that they're going to die on, then Massimo's calculus on what makes the most sense might be like, hey, we'll just hold firm. We can keep operating our business with no interruption from Apple whatsoever and just demand, you know, a trillion dollars from Apple if we want. And Apple has no recourse but to buy them, pay them whatever the fuck Massimo wants, or beat them in court. And they just lost in court. And then they lost at the uh, International Trade Commission. And so now Apple for now has just opted to turn off blood oxygen sensing. This on its own doesn't really matter. I mean, you can have whatever opinions you want on patents. I, as a software developer, it really they're icky because the people who suffer as software developers and as uh, software companies typically are small companies where fear and uncertainty and doubt around patents can cause investors to be skittish around particular ideas. They can also have a chilling effect when a big company wants to throw its weight around they might use their their patent arsenal as a pressuring tactic or as a leverage to leverage a, another software company down that they want to acquire on price because hey we could buy you or we could poach your people you know with with nice salaries or it could just like sue you out of existence because we've got some patents that we think you're violating all that stuff's you know is that increasing the amount of innovation in the world no but as somebody who chooses to live in the world that he lives in whether he chooses or not which i choose to do you know, whatever patents. And in the big picture, the blood oxygen sensor doesn't really matter. Has it saved any lives? Maybe, you know, I'm sure there's been a handful of cases where somebody maybe uh, has a case of COVID, they don't realize it, and their blood oxygen is really low, and they get to the hospital 
a little bit earlier than they otherwise would have and they, and, and it saves their life. Maybe that's happened. But the reason that this one is interesting to me is what it pretends for this future where Apple really has a, apparently had some kind of breakthrough on uh, 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 no blood draw transdermal. Is that a word? I'm no doctor, but transdermal sounds like a good word for going through skin. Uh, sensors that measure blood glucose and they, that's their white whale. If they can crack that nut and just have you wear an Apple watch and it tell you, Hey, you know, eat a cookie or, or jab some insulin and do it continuously. It would not only dramatically improve the daily existence of people with diabetes, but it could really substantially move the needle on coaching people out of type two diabetes because you would get ongoing feedback all day, every day. Hey, you know, that, uh, you know, Monte Cristo sandwich with like, you know, a half jar of jelly that you ate for lunch had a bad outcome and remind people of alternate decisions that they might make or timing throughout the day or inform you in some other way of how to manage your condition, which I think is like, you know, would that be good for humanity? Probably. Would it make Apple go from a $3 trillion company to a $6 trillion company? Like, absolutely, that's possible, depending on how they price it and how they partner with health payers. Um, that opportunity is almost like how the Vision Pro is a bet that 10 years from now, they'll be able to shrink everything down to feel like spectacles, that we walk around a world now that is augmented by the Apple platform. The Apple Watch is a, doing great as a business on its own, but even if it wasn't, I kind of think that they'd keep it around as a hobby just to stick their elbows out on the hope and prayer that they come up with a commercially viable blood, uh, blood glucose sensor because it would blow the doors open on one of the just juiciest parts of, especially America, but the, the global healthcare market. So, you know, fast forward five years, and you're thinking like the blood glucose monitor maybe is available, the sensor is available. Whatever Apple do, does today might tell us a little bit of how they'll act in the future. And what I think they're probably thinking is we don't want any other medical device manufacturers to smell blood in the water. We want to make sure that when we release this glucose monitor, we play hardball and we fucking burn your house to the ground if you try to sue us. And I think that's probably where things are headed. <laughs> uh, they don't want to give Massimo the big payday because they don't want to incentivize all these other device manufacturers to go and, you know, file a whole bunch of prophylactic patents about blood glucose monitoring in the hopes that they, they'd be able to sue Apple eight years from now. So, you know, I don't envy Tim Cook, but that's probably the kind of when he when you view him as a field marshal on a, you know, a decade long uh, roadmap and, and putting his little soldiers of lawyers and, and so forth in the field. I suspect that that this isn't about blood oxygen. This is about blood glucose. So when you view it through that lens. It gets interesting. I, I'm, it really does have me curious how that is going to play out because I, I don't think it's a matter of if, but when. So we'll see. You know, I don't really care about the blood oxygen feature for the fifth time 
it, it'll probably get resolved one way or another. But there's definitely, you know, Apple would probably much rather shoot the blood oxygen feature in the head and never have never mention it again from today forward. Then they would cave on this or set a precedent or incentivize potential future competitors in the the medical device field to do to take a single step in the direction of making it more difficult for Apple of the future to to ship a blood glucose monitor into the market. So, you know, that's say uh, you can use this as a platform to complain about patents and that's fine. Patents suck. But like people on tech podcasts complaining about patents isn't the thing that's going to bring patent reform around. It's going to be massive companies deciding that they're sick of this game. And, you know, I could absolutely see as a result of experiences like this one, Apple and other big tech companies actually going to the table to Congress to propose patent reform. The problem is now that we have, we, the U.S., had done such a good job of building an international coalition of treaties that protect IP, intellectual property, that I'm not sure that any country unilaterally backing away from certain patent commitments is even feasible. Uh, you know, you're not going to get a two-thirds vote in the Senate to, 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 to back out of a treaty or to, to, to ratify even a new one. Not that I know that's what you need. It just sounded good. If you got any constitutional lawyers here, let me know. Uh, and you can tell me what, 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 what it would take to change. But, but the, the, the patent industry of litigation and lawyers and documentation and work that goes into filing these patents, you know, USPTO has its own thing and that's, you know, a cost center for sure for the federal government, but 99% of the money having to do with patents is all the billable hours that go into designing the patent and then, uh, uh adjudicating, you know, patent infringement cases uh and and then all the follow-on headaches so stay tuned you know keep an eye on the the apple massimo case because i i think if you view it through the lens of where we're going to be 10 years from now the yeah uh, it was 2003 and i was in my computer science classes and we had not just in the ethics class that we took which was actually a pretty good class software patents came up constantly it was at the time of um the DMCA had just passed or was in the process of being passed. And the idea that you could implement a button that would, you know, seemingly obviously, like if I have a, if I'm selling uh, uh, whiskey flasks and I go whiskeyflasks.com and I only have one kind of flask and it's just got one big button and it says buy. And when you, when you buy it, when you click the button, it just shows up at your house. Like that might feel completely obvious and you'd do it if you could, because it's a real low friction way to buy something, but that might be an infringement of the patent that Apple or that Amazon has for one click purchase, which by the way, I'm not sure the state of that patent, but like I use Amazon a lot and the buy now button is definitely no longer one click. There's always the, Hey, which of the 85 shipping plans would you like for this? Uh, if, you, if you're going to wave the patent around, at least use the thing. Because when you file a patent for software, you're not filing it for a particular implementation. You're not filing it for a particular idea. You're filing it for an imagined system that exists in a Visio diagram of a system that does this, that does this, that does this. And you're describing it in very hand wavy, but very technocratic language. And so what you're really doing is you're just kneecapping other people's ability to do relatively obvious stuff. 
uh, even if the implementation has no heritage, no relationship whatsoever, even if you've never heard of the thing. And that's one reason why as a consultant, very often, surprisingly often, companies would try to put the uh, uh, the liability of patent infringement onto the contractor who is building the software. And like, well, you know, look, patents suck. We get it. No one wants to get sued for infringing on a patent. But if you tell us to build a one button whiskey flask site and we don't know about some patent that it violates and then we build the thing for you exactly as you said, you know, we're not the ones who directed the work that infringes the patent you are it's your design it has nothing to do with the implementation in almost any case so uh if if you're we're in software consultant advice territory now if you are a uh software contractor don't take the bait and do not sign up to indemnify your clients of patent infringement that is that is legal advice there you go uh can i say that i don't know it's contract advice. Don't, don't, don't indemnify clients against patent infringement when patent infringement is such a unknowable thing. It is impossible. It's an unfalsifiable claim to say that this is patent proof. There's no such thing because even in the uh, most open and shut patent cases, you put it in the wrong venue. You get in the, you know, it goes in the, the, uh, uh, a certain district in Texas and you lose hundred percent of the time. Like there's just no way to know. So patents, uh, complicated, whatever. Uh, let's see, let's see how this plays out. I'm glad to, I'm glad to have other things in my life that are occupying most of my attention. But if you've got one of those blood oxygen, Apple watches, hold on to it. Cause if, if, if it breaks or anything, the replacement probably won't have that feature turned on. So just an FYI talking about how Apple would handle a patent dispute or how they are handling or not handling, I guess is a great entree into the rest of the 17.4 bombshell changes that Apple was more or less forced to announce. There's another theme here, a recurring theme in people wanting to assume that the spirit of a law will be met willingly by whoever the law is designed to constrain. And when you're the biggest company in the world and you got a bunch of lawyers and you got the benefit of time to litigate stuff, Europe, the European union, which is a complicated, you know, system where it takes a while for them to develop regulations and to roll them out. But like, while it is complicated, it is at least functional in that they are able to do so. Whereas, you know, how many Supreme Court cases have basically resulted in a conservative court being able to say, well, you know, Congress is free to pass a law that says this the other way, but we're going to interpret it this way. And then with a wink and a nod, what they really know is going to happen is that Congress is going to pass nothing. And so, so, so no laws change. And we're just re- relying entirely on executive branches and judicial branches to, you know, read tea leaves about how the world's supposed to work. Well, in the EU, they at least are able to pass regulations, especially economic ones. But the DMA, if you haven't read it, and you haven't, it's big. It's complicated. It's gnarly. They, they, they try really hard to define terms clearly. And in those weeds, there's all sorts of crags and opportunities for uh, a generous interpretation 
by each party who might be interested in the market act. Uh, and, you know, recent reporting shows, uh, says that, uh, Apple has, has been pretty actively talking to EU commissioners and people on, 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 on whatever you call it, the committee, the, the board, the, the, the governing body here, the, the, that suggests that they are getting pre-clearance or at least a tacit understanding of this is how Apple's going to respond to these things. And that it's like considered to be good enough. And I think there's some really interesting stuff going on here about how Apple is responding to what has been a generally, um, what is currently cacophonous, but a slowly building pressure as the iPhone became such a success where it's not a monopoly of market, but it is a monopoly of profit, which is not an antitrust problem, at least as the U.S. understands it. But it does have a massive effect on markets, because if I'm Spotify or I'm Netflix, you know, I could go Android only. I could say, hey, fuck you, Apple. But like when all the wealthy people of the world are using iPhones, not all of them, but a lot of them. You know that you can't just thumb your nose at it. And if if Apple truly had a an overwhelming number of humans, ninety five percent or something, or ninety percent, then antitrust regulation would rein them in in terms of the control that they have over the App Store. So for a long time, I've kind of felt like Apple went from wanting to go in Steve Jobs term <laughs> terminology thermonuclear against Google for 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 aping so much of iOS and Android. Uh. At some point, the ubiquity and the freeness and the kind of shittiness of Android, where it's just littered every single low-cost handset throughout the world, has done Apple a tremendous service because it's kept them way below the threshold of being a properly, traditionally considered uh, monopoly on smartphones. And when, they're, when, when you've got all these shitty Android devices out there and people using them, then that means that... that, that Apple's not a monopoly and they can do whatever the fuck they want in the 95% plus of the profits that they reap <laughs> from this market. Now, of course, I'm, I'm making up percentages, but the, the, the difference between number of users and the amount of profit is, uh, that is reaped is relevant and will be relevant in this discussion. So the, the first change that, that I'll talk about, the, the DMA, I believe, I believe it's the DMA. It's some, some bundle of these related regulations requires that Apple do sort of what the um, inter- Microsoft was required to do with the Internet Explorer and have a browser ballot. So if you're in the EU and you are uh, a lo- first launch experience of whether it's the smartphone or the first time you open the Safari browser, you will be presented with options for different browsers that you can install. And additionally, in the EU, those browsers will be allowed to use rendering engines other than the built-in WebKit that is provided at the operating system level, meaning that Chromium can be run on, uh, in Chrome and whatever the hell we're calling the Rust one. It's not, it's, they still say Gecko? I don't know. Whatever Firefox's rendering engine is will be uh, available. If, if they so desire, they'll be able to ship a version of Chrome and a version of Firefox and a version of Opera and whatever the hell. Uh, uh, to iOS using their own rendering engine, which up until now has been a limiting factor, right? Because Google can't, you know, quote unquote, in their terminology, move the web forward with updated JavaScript APIs or, or performance of, you know, this or that or the other thing. So if you're using Chrome or if you're using Firefox and you're on an iPhone up until now, uh, 
and this will continue to be the case if you're not in the EU, you're just looking at a Safari web page with some extra tiddly bits above and below it. You're not really using Chrome and they can't assert, right, that like you're having the same experience you would if you were using Chrome on a Mac or on a PC, uh, much less an Android device. So in the EU and on the iPhone, those browser makers will be able to ship a version that has their real rendering engine on it, which, you know, for what it's worth, for what that provides, great. The problem is, if I was a browser maker and I've got, like, now imagine I'm Mr. Firefox or Mr. Google, and I and I have a browser that I want to ship, and I want that browser to behave exactly the same way on every single platform by using my rendering engine, great. The power of that rendering engine is in its ubiquity because then I can, I, I can, deliver an experience to users that is consistent everywhere and if and i can talk to web developers and say hey if you're you know if your thing is running on chrome here it'll run on chrome there and it'll work fine and so apple in their very you know technocratic and limited way like like the the eu can't force them to do something outside of the eu and so apple very in my opinion cleverly you know you gotta this is a game recognizing game here apple will only allow them to ship those third third-party rendering engines in the eu to eu customers and only on iphone not on ipad so that means that if uh if i'm a web developer targeting mobile or if i'm a user and experiencing a site uh in the eu on my iphone it might look one way but if i install the app while i'm in another region it would look another way or if i switch to my ipad that website or web application might behave differently and from Google and from Mozilla's perspective, it's a, it, it takes what is a kind of annoying problem where if you know you're on an Apple mobile device, you're just using Safari under the uh, covers. So yes, there's like a bifurcation then. There's a balkanization of like two different things. So instead of one consistent platform, you, the, the, the status quo is that there are two. Now you add even more subsection segmentation of, oh, well, I'm, I, I work on the Chrome iOS app, and now I have to think about the rendering engine being Safari for like this bulk of users, and for this sliver of users, we can use Chromium if we so choose. But doing so will result in, surely, bugs that are specific to the EU people or bugs that are specific to the um, non-EU people or weird interactions, like where we ship you know, a new feature for, 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 for some other thing, bookmarking or, or a setting or whatever, and it, it affects one differently than the other. Like this is a huge headache to have to manage. And if, if you're Google, you can probably absorb the cost of that headache, but is, is the return on investment really worth it? Is it worth it to have Chromium? shipping in such a narrow capacity relative to the support costs and the maintenance costs? Like, what are you really getting out of this? You might do it just for the, on the principle of the thing, because you think that you should be able to ship your rendering engine onto, onto Apple's platforms. And there's recent evidence in the open source Chromium project and in Firefox that like both parties have been working towards this recently. Like they got a heads up or they had a, an expectation that this was going to happen. But in practical terms, do you really want to have that support matrix now just get even more complicated? Wasn't the point of this in part to simplify and have a more consistent thing? So I don't envy the shit sandwich that uh, uh, Mozilla and Google are being forced to ponder whether or not to eat through. But even if they do, 
they're going to have a bad time ongoing uh, unless every other country in, uh, uh, in the world allows this. And the funny thing about it is maybe it's just because a lot of people in tech grew up in the America of the 70s, 80s, and 90s, where all it took was California passing a regulation. And because California is as large as, you know, the fifth or sixth biggest country in the world economically, California regulating emissions on cars effectively was regulating emissions on the rest of the car sales in the US because it didn't make sense to have cars that were, you know, polluted more, but then like somehow polluted less just for Californians. <sighs> And so we got in our heads, if one small thing, if one significant but small part of the world regulates something economically, then it'll it'll redound to all the other unregulated places. But like software is not hardware. You know, iOS is not a car that they have to think about manufacturing one way. Now, this is, you know, you can you can think of this very clearly. Like, why did the iPhone 15 in particular go to USB-C? It's because they knew that they had to for the EU. And if they could just click a, a checkbox and say and have no other logistical annoyance in the way of having the iPhone 15 continue to be a lightning port outside of the EU, but USB-C inside of the EU, I, I you know, the ship might have sailed on USB-C anyway. Or I guess you're on, on Lightning anyway. But it's totally possible that Apple would have waited an extra year or two and 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 shipped two models of the phone if it was logistically just as easy. Of course, is it logistically just as easy to ship two totally different versions of the phone with different like cloacas at the bottom of them? Excuse me for I, I like to think of it as a cloaca ever since they moved from the the docking pin connector to just like one little universal hole at the bottom of every phone. Uh, I just imagine that time I had to dissect a frog. Uh, it's not that easy. It would be a complete logistical headache for them from a manufacturing and a supply chain perspective. Now, when it comes to software, no such thing. In fact, it's not even their logistical headache. In software, you can just have, you know, an if-else branch. If this, do this, else, do this. And if it's about what other people are allowed to do in software, they can just set a, it's not even software. It's just a PDF. It's just a term and condition. <laughs> and they may, they kick the can over to them and say, all right, so, you know, now we will uh, abide by this EU regulation, but only in the EU. And now that's your problem, not ours. You know, if you want to figure this out and if you want to have two versions of your app where one behaves one way for Europeans and one behave and it behaves a totally different way for everyone else, you know, go with God is what Tim Apple says. And that's like, again, within their rights. And it's pretty clever because it boxes in all the people who are saying that they want this to be open and they can they can they can hem and they can haw. But unless things change in larger and more markets, unless this leads to a domino effect of regulation everywhere else. What's the most likely case is that either none of these companies actually change anything or the experience of people in the EU is actually worse somehow, because then, like, let's say that, you know, those versions of the browser become buggier. Uh, it's just no good. So anyway, third party browser engines, congratulations. You got you got what you asked for, but only this one little slice of the pie. So now you got two problems. The rest of, of what happened, the rest of this gigantic, I've got 10 little bullet points of things to talk about here. The rest of this huge just, man, talk about shit sandwiches. 
is about app stores, where you can install an app, how. And so if you haven't thought about this much lately, if you want to make an app on an Apple platform other than the Mac, you will submit it to the App Store. Apple will review it for its content, its quality, its bugginess, all these things. And then at their discretion, based on their policies, but also based on their vibes, they will uh, permit it to be distributed on, on their App Store. And if they say no, you're kind of fucked. Uh, you know, there's just not a lot of options. You could spend a whole year, your life, two years, uh, millions of dollars building an app. And if they say no, then no. Uh, people don't like that. And I understand because I don't like wasting time either. But the rule is that, and you know, people assume that I'm Mr. Open Source because I, I share a lot of open source and I do a lot of stuff publicly. But like I said earlier about my first Mac, like I used Linux on the desktop and I had such a bad time that I almost quit programming entirely because it was so user hostile. It wasn't fun. They'd sucked all of the fun out of it and replaced it with just chores and bullshit and uh, 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 landmines that you could trip over so easily. The thing that made me fall in love with programming, even programming open source, was Apple's very nice operating system. And why was it very nice? Because they had a financial incentive to make it very nice. And why do they have that financial incentive? Because uh, despite being built on top of an open source Unix kernel, BSD, like Darwin, what they call it, even though they were forced to open source the kernel of the operating system, everything else was private, closed, just their deal. And they're effectively, I mean, they, I probably paid for five or six paid Mac OS upgrades. It's commercial software, but it was nicer. And as long as the, the thing that I'm using is the nicest thing available, I kind of don't give a fuck if it's open or not. I'm, it's just not the hill I'm going to die on. Like I said, I choose to live in the world that I live in despite having no choice as if I had a choice. And so I'm not going to, you know, go and protest that Apple should open up Mac OS and make it open source, or I'm not going to go and buy a, a ThinkPad and put, you know, Ubuntu or something on it. Uh, and, and deprive myself of having a nice computing experience every day as if to make a point, as if to convince Tim Apple, like, hey, you could, you could have three or four thousand extra dollars every couple of years if only you open sourced this thing and undercut your entire business. It, it makes no sense. You know, I would sometimes I will vote for policies that might cut against my personal interest because I think the world would be better. Like I would happily vote to eliminate the patent system, but like, I'm not going to like lose any breath over it other than all this breath I just wasted. Other than that breath, that breath wasn't using it anyway, but I'm not going to, you know, get all contorted and out of sorts about it on the principle of the thing. Uh, there's a, life's too short to get worked out of shape, been out of shape over the principle of the thing. So, you know, I've always been comfortable with the fact that Apple's platforms are closed source. And that means like, especially with the app store, like they can kind of do what they want. And as a longtime video gamer, you know, it's <laughs> Nintendo had rules in the eighties that were pretty draconian, you know, maniac mansion got rejected initially because you could microwave a hamster in a little like tiny eight pixel thing. It was like a way to solve one of the puzzles. Uh, you know, publishers on the Famicom and the NES were not allowed to ship more than three games in a year, which created a cottage industry of companies that just existed in name only so that larger publishers could use them as shell corporations by which to ship games four, five, and six, and then seven, eight, and nine, and so forth. Uh, 
Nintendo's uh, cut was way worse. You had to prepay for cartridges to get printed, whether they sold or not. And Nintendo owned the schedule and prioritized which cartridges got printed and when. And you didn't have any control over that at all. There were cases of publishers uh, paying, prepaying for a run of NES cartridges uh, and then having a, like a year or more pass before they actually printed. And by then they went to market long after the competition and they didn't sell. So like that was, I grew up and I cut my teeth on that. And that's still 30-70 split or worse. So I don't know. This stuff just doesn't move the needle with me. When you say that like in the app store, you serve at the pleasure of Tim Apple. And if they, if they bounce you, that sucks. It, it, it for sure sucks. If your app gets kicked out of the app store for whatever reason, huge bummer. Fortunately, there are less nice open platforms that you can migrate to on an individual basis. Like, as an individual, you can decide to use this if it's your only option, if Apple has decided to ban you from their little walled garden. But for the rest of us, like as long as it's the nicest place to be, it's the nicest place to be. And if 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 the way that Apple charges is that it's 30% of all revenue that you make by default goes to them. And if you join their small business program, the first million dollars until you've reached over a million dollars in revenue in any given calendar year, you can uh, apply for a program where you uh, keep 85% and they only take 15%. And if you have an in-app subscription in your app, like if you're, uh, I don't know, uh, make something up here. If uh, Yeah, if I sell a, a, a Vision app that you pay a subscription instead of just a lump sum, if I retain a subscriber for more than a year after the first year, instead of being 70, 30, it, it go, it, uh, it downgrades to just 15% after the first year because, because Apple sees it as both a technology tax. You're, you're you kind of using our highway of frameworks that we've built as well as our distribution channels that we've built. So there's a sort of constant cost, but also that, that maybe that extra 15% in this analogy or in how they rationalize it, that is, uh, effectively a sales commission, right? Maybe they discovered it on the app store. And so you are, you know, compensating Apple for, for, for giving you access to so many juicy customers. That's just, that's business. Lots of businesses work in a way that kind of resembles this. And I get why people get upset, but that's, that's the rules of the road as they exist prior to the DMA. Now, Saying nothing of the European Union, there was the case that Epic litigated against Apple, and Epic mostly lost except for one thing, which was you could indeed, the anti-steering provision of the judgment was that Apple could no longer prevent uh, uh, apps like Netflix, for example, from having a link in the app that says, hey, click this dummy and go here, and then you can buy Netflix here, because we don't want to deal with any of Apple's in-app purchases bullshit. Uh... They lost that part. They have to allow a way to link out now so that you can, as an app developer, point customers to where they might purchase your thing. And to the surprise of a surprising number of people, uh, Apple said, okay, sure, we'll do that, but we still we still get a commission. People thought, and Tim Sweeney, in his very angry brain, as he, as he has sort of decided that this is the hill he is going to die on, and he pushes the lawsuits that Epic has made against um, 
Apple and Google about app stores, despite the fact that he's got no such problem with the video game industry, apparently, of the console gaming industry that has the exact same commission structure in place. It's a bizarre hypocrisy, in my opinion. They all thought that like this was a clear slam dunk win. Like, like, oh yeah, I know how links work. Links, you know, you put some hypertext, you click it, it'll open up Safari, and then you'll you'll buy my V-Bucks there. But that's not at all how it works. Instead, Apple's saying, look, yeah, you can link out. Great. But now, as part of the terms and conditions of being a developer, you have to actually track all of the people who click the link. And if any of them buy anything from you for the next seven days, then you owe us. 27% or 12%, depending on if you're in that small business program. So basically you're just, uh, all you're getting back, all you're recouping from not using their in-app purchase program, uh, uh, for, for leads generated this way is the 3%, uh, 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 that you might pay to Stripe otherwise for payment processing. So anyway, people got real upset about that. Uh, I don't know. It's, it adheres to the literal text of the judgment it probably violates the spirit of the judgment, but Apple's probably more than happy to like let a couple years drag on with this being the status quo. And why wouldn't they? Why would you give up the game? You know, you're you're dominant. You know, m- most of the people who want this link are currently paying you zero dot zero dollars because they haven't been participating in any of your in-app purchase schemes at all. Like like Netflix, Spotify, all of them stopped years ago. If they ever did. So, you know, I kind of get it. I, that makes me sound like a shill, but you know, I, I can appreciate that if there is a way Apple's going to take advantage of every single possible avenue to not do the thing that they don't want to do, even if you have a, a judge rule in your favor, or even if you pass a regulation. Uh, all right. So moving right along working up to this, how they're going to deal with the fact that the EU's DMA will effectively force Apple to allow you to what is often called side load or install an application outside of their app store or install another app store that in turn can install other apps is not this 27% commission, which had been reported at one point that Apple was going for that, which would be really, I think, probably so obviously opposed to what this regulation is is trying to say that it would have gotten struck down immediately instead and this is the whole reason i want to talk to you today so congratulations for listening for two hours just about so brilliant because there are a few things that are fundamental about the app store that apple watchers know and that apple knows and that major app developers know And that is the relationship between free apps and free apps with in-app purchases versus apps that you just pay for. Because the economics are extremely unreasonable. Like most of Apple's services revenue, if you discount the $25 billion a year that Google is paying them to be the default search engine, Most of the rest is Candy Crush whales and people who spend an insane amount of money in Clash of Clans bucks or whatever. People who spend tons and tons and tons of gobs of money. But it's always a small percentage of people, of users, that ever pay any money. Because no one will download an app that isn't free. 
typically, and the law of large numbers, most people will never download an app that isn't free anymore. And once they've downloaded that app, they will never pay a single dime, you know, for, for an in-app purchase. But by being there, creating network effect or, or, or being popular and being well-known, some number of people will pay a lot of money, especially in games to engage with the game. And, you know, they call them whales. And so there's a a whale uh, problem where Apple should be ashamed, I think, of making so much money off of whales, even though it's just the commission side of it, uh, because it's not good. It's it's obviously preying on psychological, you know, issues. I'm sure dollar for donuts, people who struggle with paying $50,000 a year for 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 Smurf berries in some app are the same people who 30, 40 years ago would be, would sidle up to a a slot machine in Vegas and just keep pulling that crank. So they know this, right? Apple is very aware of this dynamic. And if they just made side loading free, if they just said, okay, you can side load, you can, everyone's assumption was, I, oh, not everyone, but a lot of people's assumption was like, oh, wow, Europe's forcing them to open up the iPhone. So they're going to just like let you it's going to be uh, a wild west of anyone can install any app that they want. And you're going to have all these app stores and they're going to have, you know, genuine risks. For example, like if an app that was really, really popular, like TikTok or Instagram or Zoom were to rec- uh, go go third party app store only. And you could totally imagine Meta doing this then it could open the door to a lot more apps that are maybe uh, scammy or privacy invading or that Apple doesn't have any control over. And now suddenly, like if your employer, for example, says, hey, we use Microsoft Teams, which is on this other app store here, or forces you to jump through some hoops as a user to 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 turn off your um uh, security settings, like indicate to, to, to the operating system that you can download side-loaded apps. Once you've crossed that threshold as a user, the vector for abuse becomes really, really high where you could download other apps that would be really scammy or be key loggers and, uh, you know, steal your data and cause all kinds of problems. And, and, and Apple wants to avoid that. And so they've done a few things to mitigate this risk. One is that all these apps that are distributed any other way still have to be notarized and signed by Apple and Apple can revoke that notarization by effectively banning the app after the fact. If it turns out to be a scam, if it turns out to be violating people's privacy, like you, there's still some baseline expectation that you, you meet certain criteria, which means that you're, you're still playing in Apple's walled garden. They've just, I guess, uh, opened the gate for certain cases, but they can kick you right out again if your app is not behaving in one of these preordained ways that it has to. So if it starts stealing user data, you're out, which is a big, you know, a lot of people weren't expecting that, but Apple's just out there and saying it. And that means that if you're opposed to that, you've got to be brave enough as as another developer to be like, Hey, you know, this isn't right. It should be totally open. But then Apple can just come out and say, okay, well, so you're saying like child porn apps or whatever should be allowed. And of course, then now you're on your heels because now you got You're finding yourself defending child porn apps and, and that's no good. And so it's a very defensible thing for Apple to say, Oh, we, we, we just, this is how we prevent viruses on our platform. And you say stuff like that. And like, it's a very reasonable sounding thing. 
even though it undercuts the one thing that I think a lot of these large tech companies wanted, which was unfettered access to the operating system. But nope, you still got to play the rules. You got to get it notarized. You still got to ask for permission for using certain uh, device hardware. Uh, and all you really save is not having to go the extra mile of having the content and quality of the application approved by Apple for for being listed in the App Store directory. Everything else is kind of still there. So it's just whether it's a opt in or opt out, like rather than having to opt into Apple's system, you have to uh, uh, you can get booted from it after the fact, after you, you know distribute the application. So there's that piece. Uh, the other piece though is about the monies and how it's going to work. And this is mind blowing. I can't believe I didn't think, see this coming. It's so clever. So you can, if you're an EU based app developer, or if you distribute apps in the EU, you can continue to work on the 30, 70 split or the 85, 15 split and keep all the terms exactly the same as they are is what Apple announced. Or you can move to this new model where the, the percentage take is significantly less and you still work within the app store, meaning like it's, I, I think, uh, like 15, seven or some, 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 or 18, 12, I don't know. There's some smaller, uh, a ratio that you can take, but with new terms and those terms include a core technology fee of 50 cents per annual install per year. Uh, and that's, account of all of the users in a given year who installed the app at least once on one device. And that 50 cents sounds also very reasonable. It's like, okay, so like you've got all these customers and they are using our real estate. You're coming into our store or whatever. Uh, it, it seems fair from a rent perspective to be like, yeah, 50 cents in a year for a customer, like access to a customer. Like if your app is more than a few dollars, so that, okay, sure. Right. Problem is, this 50 cents per user per year totally upends the economics of free to play games where they might require to, to break even on some of these live service games, 2 million, 5 million, 10 million installs just to generate enough to, to, to lure enough whales to spend significant amounts of money. And so if you, if you require 10 million installs to make a good profit, those 10 million installs are going to cost you uh, just doing the math of 10 divided by two to get to 50 cents per user, $5 million a year. And that's a lot of, you know, some serious walking around money. So now I think that a lot of these companies are going to look at this and be like, well, shit, we got exactly what we asked for. And the only way to fight back is to say that it is unreasonable to expect us to earn 50 cents per customer per year to be able to pay this. It additionally wards off the risk that a big app like Instagram or Zoom, especially a zero advertising app like Zoom or Slack going to a third party might end up getting a whole bunch of users outside of the app store to like, you know, start thinking outside of the app store and instead exclusively using a third party app store that, you know, obviously Apple doesn't make any money on normally. If I'm Slack or Zoom or Teams, like I don't want to be on a third party app store because my client is free. And why would I pay Apple millions of dollars a year just to have it installed when I can just distribute through the normal app store and pay nothing and have it and have Apple, you know, handle all of the sort of like transactional stuff and the, and the bandwidth costs and all that. Why would I take on, why would I shoulder all of those operational costs and also pay them 50 cents? So like, I don't think you're going to see a lot of free apps move out of the app store. 
into this third party zone because of this 50 cent fee, which again, if it's, if it gets litigated in the court of public opinion or in Europe, and I, this is, I suspect what they've been running by the European commissioners, it sounds so reasonable because it is reasonable because the economics of how these freemium apps get paid is unreasonable, right? It's like, it's all based on a handful of whales. So I think this is just one of the most clever and shrewd business things I ever saw. And, and I had to, sort of like Aaron's pun earlier, I had to think pretty hard, like, wait, why the 50 cent? Because you start doing the math and you're like, oh man, this is brilliant. Because it's an incredible, they took what was their biggest weakness, this tawdry, dirty, nasty secret that people being preyed upon for shitty in-app purchases, whether they're subscriptions or, or, or some sort of like digital currency in a game world and Apple making profiting off that they've now turned it into a strength. It's, it's created a huge moat now around the app store because this 50 cent thing sounds totally legit. It's you go from whale to reasonable and I'm impressed. I'm very impressed. I think that this is going to probably stick and it's probably going to mean that even though technically you'll be able to sideload, it's, it's not going to be feasible for almost any, certainly not like a lot of these open projects, you know, um, there are exceptions for like governments and certain agencies and certain, you know, nonprofits and so forth, but (laughs) absolutely brilliant maneuver on Apple's part. Got it. Yeah. Game. This is just game recognizing game. Like, yes, 50 cents. Like this is, probably going to neuter this legislation and uh, uh, from having a massive impact on Apple's bottom line. And we'll just see how it plays out. I think that there's going to be a handful of diehards. Like I think Spotify makes enough money. I think they're around 400, 400, 450 million users worldwide. And I think, uh, you know, 200 million or so are paying customers. And so then that 50 cents per user per year is, is not significant. So for some of these subscription services that want to sell via in-app purchases, I think it's probably fine, probably reasonable, uh, if you're Netflix or, or, or whatever. Uh, so we might see some of them move, but like free as in free apps, like where you're just a client, eh, maybe, maybe we won't see that if it's not so necessary. Uh, if, if you're not normally going to be selling via the phone, like you wouldn't normally sign up for an enterprise Slack, uh, uh, from an iOS app, you're doing that on the web. Uh, and I don't think we're going to see very many games move. And that's where Apple makes all the money anyway. So kind of at that point, why do they care? So again, it's a masterstroke. And I just, I got, I know a lot of developers are going to get real mad about this. They're going to, they're going to go on their podcast and be like, God damn Apple. And they're, 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 you know, they're not open and they're not free and they're going in the wrong direction. And, but like the truth is the average person, I, I had to write a note to say, Hey, remember Apple makes money off the app purchases, the 30%. Like, the average person either thinks Apple has nothing to do with the app store and those are just apps and they're just, they exist in the ether and they don't think at all about a transaction happening or the second most common uh, misconception that people have is that Apple makes every app. A lot of people are walking around the world and they think that every single app on the app store when they download it is, Oh, Apple made that because it's an iPhone. They don't understand that other people are actually making the software and distributing it via Apple's platforms. In third place are the people who understand that, yes, behind the scenes, there's some sort of like platform, you know, agreement uh, uh, where, where, where revenue is shared and so forth. Uh, and, and yes, in that sect of people who give a shit, like, yes, this is uh, 
probably disappointing to people who thought that the aha, the EU is going to save us and we were going to have an open platform. They're like, no, go back to the beginning. This was never going to be an open platform because Apple doesn't want it to be. They'd rather take their ball and go home. And they don't have to even do that. They can just make up new rules like a 50 cent, totally reasonable 50 cent to core technology fee. Like we pay a lot of money to invest into the engineering of these platforms and we think it is completely reasonable, yada, yada, and so forth for anyone who's profiting off that to just pay us a, a meager 50 cents and thereby ice out almost everybody. Uh, now, of course, this only applies after the first million in downloads. Uh, it is for each year you do pay another 50 cents after that. But that fee hits immediately for any app stores. So most people aren't going to sideload from their computer or from a web browser and then download a thing directly. They were going to need like, you know, the equivalent of the Epic Game Store. And now Epic has to pay that price too, right out of the gate for every single download on its platform. So now it's going to make the app stores, it's going to ice them too. So even if somebody wanted to start their own third-party app store, now they're like, well, I can't just have any any Yahoo sign up on this app store because if they start distributing free apps on my app store, I am now paying 50 cents per person per year. I, that's, that's my understanding, at least. I haven't read the terms closely. Whew, genius. So when you think of all the hullabaloo and discussion that's been happening about the fact that Vision Pro is going to ship without a YouTube application or a Netflix application. I think a lot of people are conflating the general grumpiness that developers and uh, whether they're indie developers who kind of just are watch this really closely because they're enthusiasts, so they care a lot. But at the end of the day, like if you develop native apps on like Apple's platforms, you're going to keep doing it because you like doing it. And you're just, you know, understandable, like, if we could wave a magic wand and get the the policies and, and everyone to behave the way we want, I get it. You know, you want to have a strong, positive relationship with uh, whoever is the platform that sells your stuff. I get it. Like, it's it's reasonable to be grumpy. But I think there's been a lot of ascription. Ascription, right? Like, is, if I ascribe something to something else, is that an ascription? If a lot of people have been ascribing to the general ennui of developers in apple land or frustration and the uh, the clash of titans between the different tech companies like oh like, like netflix is obviously snubbing the vision pro for political reasons or youtube is unchecking google unchecked the box for distribute the ipad app into vision pro i tend to suspect that it's not really about grumpy developers it's more about there's just not users there yet, right? These are applications that will make more money if they are on the platforms where the people with money are on. And so once Vision OS, if Apple pulls it off and they get tons and tons of people and it's the way that half of America is consuming video content, you think Netflix is going to hold back? Like, no. Like, they're under the same competitive pressures as all the other streaming companies, even though they're in a strong position right now. They're not going to say no to the, that money because some number of subscribers will cancel if they can't view it with the, 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 the ski goggles taped to their face. I, I probably wouldn't. So it's probably got less to do with personal vendettas and, you know, corporate intrigue and politics. The real reason that, you know, very nice applications aren't shipping with the Vision Pro is that there's only going to be like a couple hundred thousand of them. And we're not really sure how many more than that are even going to sell this year. So why, like these 
fuck, right? If you think that software sucks and is buggy and, and all of these companies are spread super thin across not just a lot of platforms, but like tons of features and feature flags and all these things in active development. And of course, you got these overblown organizations with 20,000 more people than they probably need, or at least to the point where the communication costs of trying to synchronize all of the different organizations and organelles of, of a particular engineering group in order to ship a single piece of software or a single you know, at least a concept, a single concept of a product. If you think that like software is tough and thorny and shitty, like they, all these companies are already so overextended that it's actually, in my opinion, kind of refreshing when they don't take the stupid swing and be like, oh yeah, and we're also going to drop everything and, and introduce even more regressions and more bugs and, 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 and make our overall mix of technology investments even less stable by, you know, spinning a 17th additional plate <laughs> by having a Vision OS app on day one. So that nerds like Justin Searles can buy his, open the YouTube app once and be like, eh. So the calculus is different for every company. You know, Disney, they're making a big investment in Disney Plus on day one. I think it's probably because Disney Plus is having a hard time. Iger's under a lot of pressure. And I think that they see a strong strategic relationship with Apple as being beneficial to their company. And one way it could be beneficial is if you live in a theme park land like I do, and you've ridden the, the Mario Kart attraction in Super Nintendo land at Universal Studios in Japan, like I have, AR-like experiences, AR, VR, mixed reality, whatever you want to call it, roller coasters where you have a thing on your head are going to be a thing because the point of a theme park is to excite your senses in novel and, and, and realistic ways. And at a certain point, like Disney's going to have to get good at software or they're going to have to have a partner in the software sphere that can help them level up their theme park and stay competitive with ones like Universal that are making heavy investments in AR and VR. Now, we don't know where that's going to play out, but if I'm Bob Iger and if I'm Disney, I want to have an app on Vision Pro because I want to be able to tell my investors that I am leaning forward into this bold new world because if I'm an investor in Disney, I'm thinking not only about Disney Plus's kind of, you know, uh, tenuous economics in terms of the billions of dollars invested for the $7.99 that we reap in, in subscriber revenue. I'm also thinking about Disney in terms of there's a gigantic fucking theme park going up in Orlando and you just had a big blowout fight with the governor of Florida. And, 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 and so there's not, there's a lot of uncertainty right now. And anything that, that signals to me that you are investing and that you're forward thinking and that you're, you're riding the leading edge of technology is probably a reassuring signal to be sending. So it makes complete sense that Disney would go to Vision Pro even if there aren't that many users because the optics are really good PR and good investor relationship management for them. There, right? So that makes sense. They get something out of this too. So if anything, it's the, the but that's a particular series of conditions that make the Vision Pro launch attractive to Disney. Uh, not uh, the, the norm would be meh. We'll wait and see, see how it plays out. Give it a year, give it a couple years, give it. Everyone's saying it's going to be five, 10 years before this thing even matters. So like 
that a bunch of companies are treating it that way is like fine. Right. Uh, so anyway, that's, thus concludes the news. I think, uh, <laughs> told you it'd be a lot. That's a lot of stuff to cover. It's, uh, we'll see how it all plays out. But like, I think, you know, um, early in my career as a consultant, I was at four five, six, seven, eight clients. And when you're a consultant, the thing that I always, the, the thing, one thing that I always found to be really interesting is that you get to be at a client organization at a really in unusual time, a time of change, a time of doing something new, because if it was all just business as usual, they wouldn't need to bring in a third party to help them. And so I'm always at these moments when I'm with a client where folks, uh, hackles are raised. People know that change is afoot. These outsiders are here to quote unquote, help us. And we are there to help, but you know, people feel defensive when, when outsiders come in because you know, what does it signal? Maybe it signals I'm not doing a good enough job, or maybe it signals that the organization is changing or like, you know, what I have found time and time again is when people are afraid of change or when people expect change or when people are braced for change, big structural changes where my, my, my world is going to fall apart and everything's going to be totally different tomorrow. Nothing really ever changes. Everything's more or less the same within a certain cone of variability. And even if we do change dramatically, there's a thermostatic whiplash effect such that we'll kind of revert to the mean before too long. And so, you know, COVID is a recent example of, boy, that took a long time to come back, to snap back to something uh, 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 seeming normal. But you could, you even if you're in a blue state, or a state that shut down for a long time or in a country that, you know, handled things very conservatively, the forces and the impatience to kind of get back to what felt like normal were overwhelming. And so, you know, a lot of people are really worked up about this because they thought this would be the big, you know, groundbreaking change and the end of the walled garden. And in, 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 like I said earlier, <laughs> this is, third-party browser engines in the EU only, not even on the iPad. This is a uh, 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 third-party side-loading of applications, but with a very reasonable-sounding fee that Apple is within its rights to charge because it still requires terms and conditions, and with notarization and encryption that like, you know, Apple can still pull the rug out from under you. They still have all the control. They have all the cards, and I understand that people would be reasonably disappointed by that, but like the, the safe bet time and again is that nothing ever really changes that much. The forces at play are so much bigger than any one actor. Uh, yeah, so there you go. The news is complete. All right. Uh, only a couple of recommendations this week. One, I played uh, the video game Cyberpunk 2077, which is based on the cyberpunk uh, role-playing, tabletop role-playing game from the 80s, which... Uh, a friend of my mom's gave me the pamphlet, the little rule book. And I looked at it and I was like, this is pretty neat. I was in middle school or high school. And uh, I was like, this is pretty neat. But like, I, I, know, I don't have this kind of time. So I, I need somebody to make a video game of this for me. And then they did. So CD Projekt Red made this game Cyberpunk. Uh, I bought it in 2020. If you are familiar, it was an absolute disaster. It was a buggy ass launch. It was 
not very fun. It was, uh, you know, controlled bad. Everything about it was just hot garbage. And I tried, I pushed through for four or five hours, but I was like, you know what? Life's too short. Um, I am literally isolating at home because of COVID right now and I'm not going out and I still don't have time for this piece of shit game. Uh, kudos to the developers, uh, CD project red, which has uh, become one of the, uh, uh, most well-known and, and companies for which the country is proudest in Poland, uh, really continued to invest in, in the app, in the, in the game, even though they had a, a boatload of refunds, they, 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 they continued to pour in support bug fixes, improvements. And then they did the final, uh, uh, their, their one and only, uh, DLC, uh, an expansion pack for the game. And then they said, we're not going to update anymore after this. And then like, because they were so close to it, they're like, ah, yeah, here's a huge update anyway, with even more fixes. And so it, I was told a lot of people are back into it. They're checking it out again. And so I, I started playing it again and you know what? It's actually kind of good now. So Cyberpunk 2077, I'm wearing headphones. I'm actually, like I mentioned earlier that I always play a video game while I'm watching a show. I am in the world. I am wearing headphones. I am, I, talk about a game I wish was in VR. The, the artwork, the detail, the atmospheric stuff is finally what it should have been. Now, there's still really bizarro bugs, people flying all around and the camera kind of shifting unreasonably. But... Uh, I'm impressed. Yeah. So if, if, if you're sleeping on cyberpunk 2077, it's kind of good now. Uh, I'm having fun with it. Uh, the other thing that, uh, stands out is, uh, uh, I don't like very many Amazon prime television programs, but upload is a lot of fun because if you like software and if you like, like if you like Silicon Valley, right? Like Mike judges sort of uh, satirical humor about like just how fucked software was upload is like a, dark dystopian future of what would happen if we were able to actually extend our, 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 our lifespans by uploading into the cloud and into like, you know, a, a massively multiplayer online game effectively, uh, into a simulation, into a server rack. Uh, Oh, what was the uh, black mirror episode called? That was kind of a similar theme it was San Bernardino or something. No, it wasn't like a f- fake name. Anyway, upload, great show season three is out now uh it's pretty dark it's like it's not funny but it's not not funny you know it's i just like thinking about alternate realities and and imagined futures and where our uh worst impulses including the impulse to reject big structural changes even when we've got a massive fucking problem right in front of us like climate change or like some of the structural things in place, like this discussion of app stores, even and and privacy and and freedom on our the, the the devices that we use that are de facto monopolies, our inability to to steer clear of very large and obvious obstacles that are coming right at us, make me really enjoy the thought experiment of engaging with media, books and 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 movies, uh, uh, like cyberpunk or like upload. So check it out. If, if you disagree with me on everything that I just said about the Apple stuff and you, and you want to wallow even further in content that will make you mad, cyberpunk and upload are great. Let's uh, move on to the mailbag. Mike. Mike asks, what is your exercise regime? Well, Mike, 
I am a creature of habit. I've, I've blogged about this before. Um, I don't like to think about exercise, least of all while I'm exercising. Uh, uh, I find working out, I like fitness is uninteresting to me. Um, health is uninteresting to me. I, I, I view it as, you know, bodies are bodies The like I, the, they are, they are, they are imperfect vessels for our consciousnesses. So I, I care about them insofar as I wish I had a more perfect vessel. Uh, and I would like to live, I would like to extend the existence of my consciousness if I can, but I don't get excited, getting excited about working on my body, whether that's putting on makeup, doing my hair, working out really hard, you know, it feels like an implementation detail. Like I want to do it. It is a means to an ends. And for me, when it comes to fitness, the ends is, uh, I want to improve health markers. I want to live longer and I want to enjoy the life that I have more. And I'm willing to trade a certain amount of drudgery and pain and, uh, boredom on a daily basis to reduce the likelihood of large outsized events that might either shorten my lifespan or worsen the quality of that life. So that's my, well, it's not my exercise regime. That is my philosophy on exercise. And I know, uh, certain people named Becky listening to this, that, that does not necessarily compute. But when I grew up a fat kid, I was, uh, overweight, uh, as a child, I'd go to the pediatrician and, uh, every year we, they, the, the, the doctor would point on the weight curve of where Justin was. And, and every year I'd be on the heavier side and the doctor would be like, Hey, maybe you should try, uh, uh, talking to my mom as much as to me, some exercise or a vegetable. And my mom would take offense and see it as an indictment on her parenting. Uh, that's my two cents. This is, you know, Justin as a 10 year old trying to suss out what was happening in these conversations with like no understanding of the underlying mechanics really, other than I was unpopular and I got picked on a lot. Uh, and so what my, 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 most of my experience was mom arguing with the pediatrician about why it's like, not, you know, not really a problem. And my parents did their best to protect me. I think it was a protective instinct as well, but in any case, uh, you know, I, I, I ended up losing the weight in high school. The way that I did that was I realized that I could eat less food and I could listen to music and walk on a manual treadmill, meaning like a friction based gravity <laughs> pulling, uh, inclined Nordic track treadmill that didn't have an engine in it. You just walk on it and you have to push, you exert extra power to turn the treadmill because there was resistance and I could just walk on that for 45 minutes at night. Uh, I could play some dance steps revolution, which I had like the pads set up in my basement. Uh, and so I was listening to a lot of music and I, uh, walked on the treadmill, uh, ran, I guess sauntered four miles an hour, uh, with high resistance is like actually quite a lot. And, uh, I started shedding pounds. And so I went from, I think 260, 250, yeah, about 250, I think. There was a certain point at my peak where I was just not going to step on a scale. So I don't really know what my peak was. I just started measuring after I lost some weight. 
And I, I very quickly in a period of like a summer, you know, you, you go on summer vacation, junior year. And then I came back at the beginning of senior year and I weighed 70 pounds fewer or less 70 pounds, 70 fewer pounds less. Uh, and, uh, that changed my life. Of course, in a lot of ways, had a lot of extra skin flapping around all over my face. Uh, but it, it also, uh, even though I took some, <laughs> I took a, I took a siesta, uh, from, from, from regular like exercise. Cause it wasn't even then a regime. It was a habit. Uh, in college, I was inconsistent. And in the first couple of years after college, I was inconsistent around it, but around 25 or 26, I started to run every day. And I, and by maintaining a streak, I was able to at least make a promise to myself. Okay. I maintain the streak as a thing that I do every day. It's just something I do. And my body habituated around it to the point where like, if I didn't do it, I'd felt like shit. Uh, you know, I don't like eating before I've run. Uh, I just, you know, I feel queasy. I feel bloated. I don't, I don't know my body's, you know, I don't typically eat breakfast or lunch. I tend to run instead. Working remotely was wonderful for that. And so I go on a run every day. I'm realizing now that there's a shorter version of this answer that I could have given, but here we are two and a half hours into a podcast and I still have time for you. I'm not even going to charge you a 50 cent download fee annually. Uh, you can, you can download this as many times as you want. As many people can, it's fine. I'll pay the S3 bill for for hosting. Um, yeah, so I run every day. I run 5K every day. Um, I slowed down my pace a little bit. There was a couple of years there I was running like nine miles an hour, um, but then I would injure myself because I don't know how to run. I just kind of like, <laughs> I probably look like a silly cartoon of just like legs and limbs flailing back and forth because I, 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 again, do owing to the incuriosity that I have around fitness, I've never once thought maybe I should Google a page on like how to run good. <laughs> uh, so, so I'm real bad at it. I just, I go in a straight line and I figure if I'm really inefficient at it, it's actually a better workout. Uh, so yeah, I run a 5k every day. I run about eight miles an hour when I'm on a treadmill. Uh, typically a little slower outside, by the way, a huge pet peeve of mine is unless the treadmill I'm on has gym kit with Apple watch where it syncs up the distance on, on the watch, it drives me batty that I'll run outside and I'll, I'll, I'll complete 5k in a certain amount of time. And that'll train the watch to, to approximate my arm and leg movements or whatever, you know, uh, when I'm back on a treadmill and it's always like 20% off on the distance. And so that leads me to like, when I'm on a treadmill going even further so that I can get the same distance measure that I would have an, an equivalent outdoor run. Yeah. Anyway, the fact that you can't edit workout metadata on Apple watch is something that I just still can't believe you can't do. I, but I understand Apple from a, you know, they want to be able to maintain the veracity of your workout so that people aren't just cheating, cheating themselves. They're only cheating themselves is what Apple thinks, but, uh, you can only really, uh, pull that off. If the veracity is voracious, are those words related? If the veracity is accurate, like, so the, the fact that like, uh, my treadmill runs are inaccurate unless I'm on a $3,000 gold gym, gym kit one, uh, that happens to sync up with the watch that really grinds my gears. Uh, I also lift weights. I lift weights. Um, the, the lowest effort way I know how, which is using tonal tonal is a, uh, I'm going to write a note to, to link to tonal. 
tonal is a uh, thing you have drilled onto your wall that looks like other products called mirror or whatever, but it's not that. It's a big vertical screen and it's got two arms and it's, a, it's basically, it's a cable system which uses an electromagnet that is very compact. It's very impressive to, to apply up to 200 pounds of cable resistance. Uh, and uh, yeah, you deadlift on that. You can, you can bench press on that. You can, you can do all kinds of dozens of exercises uh, on that. And I've, I've put on a lot of muscle as a result. I typically use that three times a week. And I, what I love about it is I'm not racking weights. I'm not even thinking about my exercises. It comes with all sorts of programs. Uh, you pay 60 bucks a month you know, in perpetuity for the, for the privilege. And as far as I know, if that, if that company ever goes under those, those things are all bricked. I don't even think you can work out in a free mode if you're not subscribed, uh, which is a bummer again, owing to the conversation about open versus closed systems. Uh, I've already, (laughs) my brother and I, who also has tonal, we've mentally allocated a month of our lives to, well, when tonal goes out of business, we're going to have to figure out how to jailbreak these things because it really works. Uh, for me anyway, I, I, it's like Netflix. I'm just, yeah, you know, I hit, I hit the button on the, on the handle and I just do the thing and I just make the movement. And I, you know, I, I've learned a lot about form and how to stop injuring myself. I, I unlike running, there's certain baseline education that's necessary, uh, to not work against yourself with resistance training. But once I have that, I listen to a podcast. I mostly just turn my brain off. So yeah, I, uh, my exercise regime is I treat it like maintenance. I couldn't care less about competition. The last thing, especially having a, a history of, of, uh, morbid obesity as a child who got picked on a lot is like the idea of running with other people. It seems fucking absurd to me. Why would you want to make yourself vulnerable to getting picked on like that, made fun of or laughed at? I just have so many childhood memories of, of getting, uh, uh, teased that I, I could not imagine that being fun. And, and same kind of goes for working out generally. It's just like, go into the gym to hang out with the guys just to, you know, just locker room stuff. Like I, I'm a, I don't know. I'm, I'm a, I'm a masculine man in a lot of ways, but the idea that like anyone would like this shit is bananas to me. I, I, I get it. It's, I've got my baggage and that's most of what I'm projecting and expressing here. But, uh, yeah, that's what, anyway, that's what I do. And other people have totally, you know, the world is big and, uh, life experience is so varied and I am at one end of the spectrum when it comes to exercise. Well, on the two axes of does it a whole hell of a lot multiple times a day in, in many cases, but really dislikes it at the other end of the graph. So that's a little bit about exercise. Um, Mikkel, 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 uh, says, quote, it ran a bit long referring to the podcast. You could let some of it flow over to the next episode and make more of them instead. Uh, I am now at like two and a half hours, aren't I? Uh, I, I'm sorry, Mikkel. I, I, I hear you, but how about I run longer and even more frequent? Uh, because there's stuff to talk about and you know, yeah, don't listen to this if you don't like it. Just please don't. Uh, but if you if you've got the chores, you know, tune in when you want to. You know, uh, if you've got stuff to do, if you just want a voice in your head, I can be that voice. I I, I don't know. I, I 
it's so funny to me because all the podcasts that I listen to start at two hours, almost all of them. So the idea that like the number one reaction I have is like, this was an hour and 47 minutes. Like, huh? I, I guess like I don't listen to a lot of super mainstream popular podcasts, but like I, what I want is just a person to chew the cud to masticate the issue and really cover it from all angles. And it's hard to do that in a short form. Like, unless I'm just going to talk about one thing, like when I'm being interviewed on a podcast, we don't cover a lot of ground in 45 minutes. In fact, we often have to elide lots of details and then that gets edited down further to make for time. Let that be that thing. This is just, this is you and me time, man. Mickle, if you're listening to this, in spite of the fact that you felt like the first episode was too long, if you were still here, then you, you kick ass. So thanks. Um, next up, Justin. Hello, Justin. Justin says, what has changed in your work performance or otherwise as a side effect of aging, slower cognition, less energy, hard to learn, etc." I try not to think about this too much. This is very related to the exercise thing, right? Where like, I would love to live forever. In fact, the the fact that I love the show upload is a little sad because honestly, there was a time in my life where I would love to have escaped my corporeal body for a virtual one. But then I learned so much about software that now I've got two, two vessels. I dislike, uh, and, and the meat bag is the better of the two bad options. I don't like thinking about age. I don't like thinking about mortality. I am, I walk around with an ever present uh, certainty of my own demise. I just, I, it, it's always at, not the front of my mind because the front of my mind is shit talking Apple stuff, right? Or, or shit talking programming stuff or shit talking as I cook, you know, front of my mind's occupied with that. But the back of my mind, even the middle sections of my mind, I'm always thinking I'm going to die someday. And how do I squeeze the most juice from the, from the, from the orange? How do I squeeze as much blood from the stone to get the most out of every single fucking minute of my existence? Uh, you know, so I think a lot about it. I would love for, you know, the, the transhumanism, Ray Kurzweil sort of world of, of, of we're going to reach a singularity or we're going to have some sort of magical pill that will extend people's lifespans uh, in perpetuity. But that's not the world we live in yet. And uh, as mentioned earlier, I choose to live in the world that I have no choice but to live in. And I have found that as I get older, I was just talking to Anthony about this yesterday when you're waiting in line somewhere. My ability to play video games and be good at them is, is way worse especially like in Twitch games, you know, like uh, 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 first person shooters and stuff. I was competitively good when I was in high school at Unreal Tournament. I was competitively good at X-Wing versus TIE Fighter. And I played in like, like what was called a clan. I don't know what they call them now. I guess esports team. Uh, that is I, I sad for me because I love games and I finally have time, more time to play games. And uh, I my favorite kinds of games I'm now just so bad at that I kind of don't play them at all because it's too depressing. So I just, I play the farming Sims. Um, although cyberpunk is, is nice, but I'm playing on easy mode because I, I suck now. 
in terms of cognition, I feel that too. I feel like almost like a plaque buildup in my ability to process, uh, especially sensory information quickly. I feel like every passing year I am worse at auditory processing, uh, even reasonably loud environments. I, my brain is slower and slower. It's almost like I'm sucking information through a straw. I don't remember being that bad as a kid. Uh, so on the sensory side, I'm like, I can feel like I'm losing my edge. Great song by LCD Sound System, Losing My Edge, by the way. I listened to that for the first time in a while recently. Um, well, my cognition's not that bad, right? I still remember the name of that song and the artist. Uh, yeah, you know, I this is one area where the the more that you think about something, the more you get inside your head, the more likely you are to either fix your mindset as to, well, I'm older. And so I've, I've got a determinism kind of mindset of like, well, I'm just worse at this now, which becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy or you pathologize it, right? Where age is a totally natural thing. And uh, there's so many different variables, but if you see it as just a Boolean state or gradation of, you know, a progress bar of your existence and you're this much, you're, you're this close to death now and, and you have a proportional kind of mindset that like, I'm just getting every, you know, I'm over 40. Everything's getting shittier now. That kind of mindset, it, it, it lends itself to, it gives myself an out to just explain the suboptimal aspects of my mind or my existence, uh, through the lens of, well, I'm older now. So things are just shitty now. And that's something that's like, for me personally, not healthy. I would rather be, I perform better when I am oblivious to those kinds of uh, uh, impediments because then I approach everything, even Steven as earnestly as I can. And I'm, I, I, I can power through without feeling like I am hindered because when I feel hindered or obstructed in some way, I, I lose my motivation. And so I'm, I'm much more comfortable just powering through and just being myself and just being present when I'm not thinking about oh, well, you know, the, 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 this challenge that I'm having today can actually be explained in, in the form of all of these age-related or other health-related, you know, confluence of factors. Sometimes that can be useful, especially when you're trying to solve a problem or, or troubleshoot something that's kind of going on acutely. But big picture, it's like, we're all just pieces of meat walking through life, doing our best. And that's, that's kind of how I like to think about it. So if, if I've got less energy every day or if things are harder to learn for me every day or if my brain ain't as good as it used to be, I'd rather not know. So I'd rather not think too hard about it, but I'm sure, you know, time is a one way street, unfortunately. All right. Well, you know, uh, still got a lot of mag, mel, mag bell. When I can't pronounce words anymore, that's probably a good sign that I should be done or a sign that I am aging and close to death. Uh, one or the other or both. Uh, so we're going to call it so thanks everyone for, for breaking this change with me, breaking news of the 50 cent core technology fee and all the assorted other things. I'm really looking forward to uh, getting my grubby mitts on a vision pro. If all goes well next Friday and we'll see how it is. And we'll, and uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll share my thoughts, but until then stay, stay cool kids. Bye.